The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. What up? Um, woo, baby, Z-Bot here with yeah, live Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel on a Monday night, the final Monday of November, and perhaps the final Monday of uh, any significance in the Buffalo Bills 2023 season. Buffalo Bills lose the game of the year. <laughs> Stop me if you heard that before. Buffalo Bills lose the game of the year at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, 37-34. Your final in overtime in the game of the year in 2023. Buffalo Bills lose the game of the year last year against the Minnesota Vikings. Buffalo Bills lose the game of the year the year prior against the Kansas City Chiefs. What might be in store for us in 2024? Well, folks, I hope you hang on tight and you're still around for the ride when that comes around because it's all but inevitable. Another one in the books and perhaps this entire season in the books. I'm not willing to say it quite yet. Shockingly, I know you might be shocked to hear that um, because there are some positives to take away from yesterday that might be able to be used going forward. Who the hell knows, but ultimately it doesn't really matter because what we saw yesterday is exactly who these Buffalo Bills are, who they have been, and who they more than likely will continue to be. And that's why being a fan of the Buffalo Bills, is it's been nothing but pure hell my entire life. And it's, it's ironic how it has been uh, even more of a scorching hell since the Buffalo Bills have been good. Because ever since the Buffalo Bills have been good, that came with expectations. I never had expectations with Tyrod Taylor. And I was surprisingly, you know, just shocked and elated when Tyler Boyd has the touchdown of the, of the century for the Buffalo Bills fan base and the Bills back their ass in the, into the playoffs and lose to Blake Bortles. That was the peak of my fanhood for 20 some odd years. And before that, there was no reason to ever be excited about anything because there was nothing exciting about the Buffalo Bills. But all of a sudden here came the new wave, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, Josh Allen, Stephon Dix. And there was nothing but excitement. And for good reason, this team one of the best in the league, Josh Allen, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. We'll talk a lot about him tonight. I got a lot of things to say about Josh Allen tonight and a lot of things to say to people who have a disagreeing opinion with mine because your opinion is 100% false. But the overarching uh, you know, the, the overarching point here is these Buffalo Bills, despite being in a drought or despite being a perennial Super Bowl contender or somewhere in the middle. These Buffalo Bills have been the exact same franchise my entire life. And they were like that before I was even a thought in my parents' mind. These Buffalo Bills have been the exact same franchise forever. And I think we're getting to the point now as fans where we are, you know, the joke's on us. And it's, it, it's to the point of absolute lunacy. 
at this at this given time that we continue to sign up for it, not only year after year, but week after week after week. And you want to know what? I'll sign up for it again in two weeks when the same thing more than likely happens in Arrowhead, right? Because that's just the way it is. It is a full-blown illness. I have no cure for it, yet I continuously end up on borderline hospital mode every single week. And yesterday was a perfect example of one where I should have been rushed to the ER, not to be resuscitated, but to be put down because I've had enough. I have had enough of this. I truly cannot take it anymore. Uh, and I, 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 I'm getting to the point where I literally cannot take it physically, mentally. It is ruining me, ruining me. How many times does this have to happen for me to smarten up? How many times? It's unbelievable that I continue to do this to myself. It's unreal. It is unbelievable, unfathomable. I know what's going to happen, and I still do it. Unbelievable. No matter what happens, no matter if Josh Allen has the game of his life, no matter if the defense has the game of their life, whatever, it does not matter. In that moment, they lose every single time, and that's not hyperbole. 0-6 in overtime. Four games this year lost with the lead at the two-minute warning. I'm not pulling this out of my ass. It's unbelievable. The Buffalo Bills are a more respected and sexier version of the L.A. Chargers. That's what this franchise is. And the irony is that the 2023 Bills will be remembered in the same vein as the 2010 San Diego Chargers, who might have been one of the greatest teams in the history of the sport, but didn't make the playoffs. You will look back at the 2023 Buffalo Bills and you will see that they were a top defense on paper. They were a top offense on paper. Josh Allen stats, you know, top of the league as well. Somehow one of the top run games in the league, one of the best running backs in the league, according to the stats, you'll see all of this. You'll forget all the nuances. You'll forget all the little things like 12 men on the field or the fact that they had a 10 point lead at half yesterday and a 10 point lead going into the fourth quarter and a three point lead halfway through overtime. You'll forget all that. And you'll look back and you'll look at them the same way you looked at the 2010 LHR or San Diego Chargers at the time. And you'll just say, how the hell is that even possible? And the reason it's possible is because, you know, the old saying, oh, they're going to charge her this one. Well, they're going to bills this one. It's a Billsian loss. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know unless you became a Bills fan yesterday. If that's the case, welcome to the club. It's a terrible place to be. Got a text from my dad yesterday. Crazily, crazily, who thought he thought we were going to win this one. Never seen the optimism out of the guy. Never, never. Never in my life have I seen that guy show a wink of optimism in any given moment of a football game until the clock struck quadruple zeros and we won. And even then, you're worrying about next week. And he's texting me, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. And I'm thinking to myself, what's got you thinking that? Because that game yesterday is the epitome of what every single one of those games are for the Buffalo Bills. Every single one of them. That game yesterday, I almost had a deja vu moment. It was the 13-second game reincarnated. It had the same broadcasting crew. The Buffalo Bills are on the road. The Buffalo Bills are wearing their all-white uniforms. Josh Allen plays the game of the year. They put up an infinite amount of points. What do you know? Gabe Davis, maybe the best receiver on the field. Every single element of that game was the exact same as the 13-second game, including a loss. Including a loss. 
it was deja vu all over again. And to have any amount of optimism was extraordinary to me, especially coming from my old man. And this is how they do it to us, these bills. Because even if you can get a guy like my dad to be optimistic, this is what I get after the game. Quote, I'm sending you a formal apology as a father for putting you through this shit year after year after fucking year. Totally my fault. Can't disagree with you, Pops. It is 100% on you, the reason that I right now should be on a defibrillator. But it would make me feel, you know, it would make me feel worse if you weren't the same. And it's why we love it. Right? And it's almost like we're addicted to the pain at this point. Nobody's ever really addicted to anything good for them. You know, some people might be addicted to going to the gym or running, but is it really an addiction? No, most people are addicted to drugs and alcohol and this and that. I'm addicted to this bullshit. I'm addicted to getting my heart yanked out of my chest, stomped on, shot with a minigun, and then put into a blender, poured out and drank by some demonic thing in the depths of hell. That's what I'm addicted to. Doesn't that sound fun? Well, that's what we're all doing week after week after week, year after year after year, and we somehow expect it to change. How many times does it have to happen before we just come to terms with the fact that it won't change? And some of you say that you have. I haven't even looked at the comments yet, but I'm sure some of you were saying, you know, you, you know it's going to happen. So do I, but you still watch the game, didn't you? And we still will continue to. It's just unreal. And I'm not sitting here saying that I'm never, I'm ever going to stop. I'm not sitting here saying the next time you see me, this wall is going to be bare. I'm going to have nothing bills to my name and I'm done. That's the last thing that's going to happen. I'm just spending a moment here talking about how insane it is that we continue to do this, knowing exactly what's going to happen. That's what I'm getting at. It's just, it's truly unbelievable. It's truly, uh, it it is something that ought to be studied by a Harvard or Yale medical school, and they should just spend years dissecting whatever this is because it's unearthly. And there's no cure, and, uh, and it's, it's a living hell. It truly is. It's a living hell. You know, I'm sure you've all seen the graphic going around today of all of these games, and, you know, and not only these games in the past. I mean, there's been four games this year. You know, have the lead against Matt Jones, who got benched against Tommy DeVito yesterday, carved up in a two-minute drill. Lose, right? Right? That happened a couple of weeks ago. Punt return. For the New York Jets, who are the laughing stock in the league, week one, lose that game, right? Yesterday, of course, that's fresh in your memory, I'm sure. 12 men on the field. Why not? Let's spice it up a little bit. Let's make it a little different, right? Let's make it a little bit different than we usually do. Let's have a flag thrown out there and let's have a miss the kick because that way it makes it seem a million times worse. You know, that's just this season. And I'm not even mentioning the fact that Tyrod Taylor was on the goal line for the New York Giants with the ability to win it. I'm not mentioning the fact that Baker Mayfield got a clean Hail Mary off and it probably should have been caught. I'm not mentioning about any of that, any of that. Luckily for us, you know, hey, lucky for us, how lucky are we that those two went in our favor? That big game, that huge game against those dominant New York Giants and those kick-ass bucks. Thank God those games went in our favor because those were huge. Huge games. Thank God they went in our favor because we knew those ones were going to come right down to the wire. No matter what this team does, no matter how well they play, it is inevitable every single time. And there's just, there's just no way. The best way to explain it 
is that it's the Buffalo Bills. There's no other way to explain it. Because if you try to find a way to explain it, you're going to have an aneurysm like I'm about to have right now. There's no way to explain yesterday. There's no way to explain the 13 seconds. There's no way to explain half of these games. And not to mention the list of them before I was even born. Thank God I was floating around in my dad's nuts before any of this shit happened. Because I wouldn't be here. I'm lucky I'm here right now. I couldn't imagine living through that shit. But I'm living through my version of it now. At least the stakes aren't as high. Thank God. Because they haven't gotten there yet. They haven't gotten to the ability to get the stakes high enough to truly, truly bring down the guillotine, you know? Maybe someday I'll get there. Maybe. Maybe. I doubt it. Man, oh, man. You know, it must be incredible to be a fan of either the other team or a non-competing team in these games. I mean, you know, we don't even get treated to these type of games. The only last one I can remember, really, was Rams... Rams Chiefs Monday Night Football what was it 2017 2018 that was the last game I can remember where I had no skin in the game and it was just like man you know this is unbelievable the Bills have now provided in three consecutive seasons that game and we have to be on the end of it we're the only people on the end of it that are just sick to their stomach and sad about it everybody else gets to be like man that was must-see TV. That was incredible. That was the game of the year. That was a game I'll never forget. We might all say the same, but for the complete adverse reasons, obviously. We'll never forget that one yesterday. We'll never forget the Broncos game right now. You know, is it, is it really that insane to think we're just cursed? They just announced that not too long ago, right, that UFOs exist. There's volcanic eruptions all over the world. I mean, the world's essentially coming to an end. Would it be that insane if someone from higher above or some unearthly entity said, hey, yeah, no, curses exist? Because really, this has got to be what it is. It's got to be. I mean, when you're watching Josh Allen, get absolutely assaulted to the point where there should have been a cop on the field charging the man and the flags on Josh Allen. As you can see here, I'm just, it's like a hairball. It's like a cat coughing up a hairball. What am I supposed to say? Other than these guys are just cursed, man. They're just cursed. I'm cursed. You're cursed. They're cursed. We're all cursed, right? Because you know what? If you're like me, you, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't 15 years old and you turned into a, a Bills game and you're like, man, you know, that's the team right there. I like those guys. I'm going to root for those guys. Now, 90% of us were born into this shit. That's why my dad has to send me a formal apology. That's where we're at. And that's where we've been. You know how many times I've gotten that text or that, that t- said to me in person? But what do we do? We do it again and again and again and again and again. And we will continue to do it again and again and again and again and again. Forever. And most of you, like I said, are like me. You didn't choose this shit. This shit chose you for some reason. And that's what's got to make you feel like you're cursed. Nobody picks a curse out like you're at Target. Nobody goes down the curse line and says, mm, or the curse aisle rather, and go, I'll take that one. I'll take the bills absolutely ruining my life every year for 25 years right there. I'll take that one. What cyber Monday, even better. I'll get it online. It's half off. They choose you. 
and we're the chosen ones. And it makes you wonder how Patriots fans were chosen, right? How does that happen? How does that happen? How did you get so lucky? You know, it's amazing when you think about it. The fact that we're even alive is, a, is, is beyond a miracle. What's the old Gary V thing that went viral forever? That's what he says about everything. He had like a one in 10 trillion chance of even being alive. What were the chances of not only being alive, but being born into this hell? What were the chances of that? I mean, that's got to be one in 10, 10 gazillion, whatever. I don't even know if there's numbers that go that high. And look at all of us. Here we are together on the smoke break, just basking in it, right? You know, my fiance, God love her. She doesn't know a football from a, from a, I don't even know, fill in the blank. God bless her. And she's got to sit and watch this shit yesterday. You know, she's got to sit and just watch the absolute emotional downfall. And she's got to be sitting there thinking, man, I'm marrying this guy. What in the hell am I thinking? Right? I mean, she's got to sit there and watch this absolute unravel over a bunch of guys throwing around a ball. <laughs> right? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And she's got, I mean, she's, she's had to have seen this now. I mean, I, I don't know how many times, a hundred million times by now. And, you know, we, we, we had plans to go out afterwards. I'm like, what am I thinking? I should have just said that I, I got COVID or something. I don't know. I mean, what was I thinking signing up for that? You know? But, you know, it's not her fault. We, I, I, I got to be a man here, damn it. Damn it. And we go out. And we're sitting there, and you know what she asked me? She says, has there ever been a game like that that you were happy afterwards? And I thought that was just an absolute brilliant question. I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. And you want to know what? One game came to mind. One game came to mind. And I'm guessing it, uh, it probably comes to your mind. Now, now, granted, this is my lifetime. I'm not talking about the Frank Wright comeback or shit like that. I wasn't around for it. I'm talking about my lifetime. The one game that comes to mind. Teron Johnson, pick six, divisional playoffs, at home against the Baltimore Ravens. I couldn't think of another. Maybe there is. Maybe. But I'd have to, de I'd have to dig. You know that video of SpongeBob running around his own mind while it's on fire going through the filing cabinets? I'd have to do that to think of another one. Um, I could sit without any effort and name you 10 that went the other way. And I'd be underselling the shit out of that. Because I already named you four that happened this calendar year within the last two and a half months. And somebody, I forget who, but you know, it's going around everywhere now. So who the hell knows who made it? But somebody put out a graphic earlier today and it's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games over the last two years. And in all of these games, the bills are either winning in overtime or with two minutes left and they lost. They're either tied or winning in overtime or losing. Jesus. Pause. They're either Tied in overtime, tied at the end of the game, or winning at the end of the game, they lost every single one of them. Every single one of them. Vikings game, the Jets twice, the Broncos game, the Tampa Bay Bucks game, of course, our last chance to ever beat Tom Brady. Never could, right? Eagles yesterday, obviously. The Chiefs game, of course. Um, the New England game, obviously. We've already been all over it. We've been over it all. We've been over it all. You 
You know, it's, uh, it's, my dad says this all the time. I think it's a great saying. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And I'll tell you what, we are the bridesmaid that is the bridesmaid in everybody's wedding. Everybody's. Ah, the Eagles are getting married. The Chiefs are getting married. The Patriots are getting married. The Broncos, the Jets, you know, whoever. They're all getting married, man. You're standing there and you're up there. You got to give a speech. And now, oh, you know, the Eagles, they're just, they just know how to do it. They just know how to win. They can win in a variety of different wa- ways. You know, the tush push, I think it's one of the greatest inventions in the last 20 years of the sport. Jalen Hurts, phenomenal leader, phenomenal player. A.J. Brown, what can you say? He might be the new Calvin Johnson. He's incredible. Nick Sirianni, you know, coaches coaches him up in the critical moments, makes the adjustments. That's, you know, you're up at the podium, you know, in front of all of her friends and family, and she's having the day of her life. Day of her life, getting married, taking home the W, and you're going home wasted by yourself. Until you got to go do it again. Now, the thing about this bridesmaid is she's had, you know, she's had some great, great relationships. She has. You know, you know, for example, she dated this guy in Philly and things were going great for the for the first half of the relationship. I mean, they were going you would have thought they were getting married. Things were going phenomenal. The first half of that relationship, you're like, man, these guys might be the couple of the year. Couple of the year, and she was the leader of that. She was just incredible. The best girlfriend ever. And then in the second half, you know, the second half of that relationship, it just starts to unravel a bit. But you know what? She's really holding up her end of the bargain in certain aspects of it. But she was getting way less defensive than she used to in the beginning of the relationship. And the defensive aspect of her was what kept things going. She was able to stick up for herself, say what she wanted, right? And that made the relationship flow. The opposing partner was able to understand, yada, yada. Got way less defensive in the second half. But you know what? She was still going, doing her best all the way till the end. And just like every other relationship she's had, it ended in heartbreak. Every one of them. The Philly relationship, the Kansas City relationship. You know, she dated Mac Jones for a little while. That ended in pure heartbreak. Nobody could believe that. No one could on their right mind possibly believe that Mac Jones left her. I mean, for nobody could believe that. But that's just, and then she's got to wonder if she's cursed. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride, and you wonder if you're ever going to have a ring on it, right? I always look at these. You know, my father-in-law got me these. Where are they? I got two of them. The, uh, the replica AFC championship rings. From uh, what, what's what, what's this one from? This one's from '91. I look at those all the time, and it's just it makes me laugh. Or it's just like, man, you know, that that's it. And I wasn't even alive for that. I wasn't even alive for that. Ah, wow. Well, 25 minutes in, haven't had a heart attack yet. Let's keep going. 37, 34, your final in overtime. And, you know, it it, it really was it, it, just like all the other ones, you know, it, you can't help but step back and understand that that game was just incredible. And like I mentioned earlier, it's unfortunate that every single one of these games has to be at our expense. Every one of them. None of these games ever go in our favor. Yet when you look across the landscape of the entirety of the season, the last three seasons, 
the Bills have delivered to everybody else but their own fan base. Isn't that something? The Bills have delivered the greatest game of the year to everybody but their fan base. And this year, of course, no exception. And, uh, you know, and I'm also missing other ones, too. Like, I know I mentioned the Vikings game. And I know I mentioned the Chiefs game and yesterday. But there's also, of course, the Hal Murray and whatever the hell else. I mean, you can fill it in. There's at least four in the last couple of seasons here. But bare minimum, bare minimum, three consecutive here. And it just makes you wonder what else they got in store for you. Um, but this one yesterday, I had felt going into it, if you watched our pregame, this game went exactly how I thought it would, except for the scoring. I was stunned that this game ended up getting the point total that it had with the with the uh, with the weather. Both defenses um, were not up for the challenge. And by both, I mean, one wasn't really up for the challenge throughout the duration of the game. The other, they got off the bus and they were looking like they were going to put together their best defensive performance of the year until all of a sudden the wheels on the bus, they didn't go round and round. They fell off, went down a cliff and submerged into flaming lava and disintegrated. And that, of course, is what led to the total in which that this game finished with. The over-under for this game was 49. This game finished with 71 points. And outside of the score total, this game went exactly how I thought it would. I thought the Bills were going to cover the spread. They did. It was three and a half all week. This game felt like the Bills were going to keep it close. The Eagles have allowed every team you know, seemingly worth a damn this season to be in the game till the end. And even teams that haven't been really all that great, they're only lost to the Jets, right? That was a two-point game. Washington Commanders took them to overtime. These Eagles, despite only having one loss, they have been in incredibly competitive games throughout the majority of their season here. And I just felt like the Bills knew what was at stake. I thought the Bills matched up with them well because, believe it or not, the Eagles secondary, their defensive, um, or their pass number, the defensive pass number, some of the worst in the league. I think they went into that game yesterday, the 28th ranked pass defense. And I just felt like if Josh Allen could have a good game, not even a game like he had yesterday, but a good game where he didn't turn it over, pretty much similar to like last week against the Jets, I thought that that was going to keep this game close. And that's exactly what happened. But Went beyond that was it wasn't just a good game from Josh Allen. It was, it was the game of the day for any quarterback in the NFL. It was the best game any quarterback had in all of Week 12. And if you want to look back at the whole season, you'd be hard-pressed to find a game where a quarterback played as good as, as Josh Allen did today. And obviously, there could be some recency bias baked into that. But I mean, it, it, even with that included, let's let's just say top five. And I'm being generous there. I mean, minimum. That was just extraordinary. Absolutely off the charts. I don't know how you play any better than that ever. I, I, I'm talking in the history of the game. The guy was absolutely on fire. And this is what makes this game. And it's just like, just when you think it can't get any more sickening, it always does. And this is how I look at yesterday's game. Because I think a lot of things were lost yesterday. One, obviously, increasing your chances of making it into the playoffs. That game would have went a very, very long way for these Bills getting into the playoffs. In fact, had they lost, had they had won that game, rather, they would be in the playoff picture as opposed to being, in my favorite three words, in the hunt. 
they win that game, they're actually in the playoffs, control their own destiny with a much better chance to make it in with a loss or maybe two, who knows, but they would have a much better chance with a slightly bigger uh, margin for error. So that, of course, is lost. But you want to know what else I think is lost yesterday? Look around the league right now. Nobody knows who the MVP is. And I understand people want to say Miles Garrett. People want to say McCaffrey. People want to say Tyreek Hill. It ain't going to happen. That Those days are long gone. No player outside of a quarterback has won it since Adrian Peterson, and I don't anticipate one winning one anytime soon unless they break some insane, insane numbers. It's just not what the award is. Everybody knows it's a quarterback award. And I think in my heart of hearts yesterday, whether he won it or not, I think today if Josh Allen wins that game yesterday, he would be the MVP favorite in the betting market today. I think he would be. And I think if he continued to will this team to victory down the stretch here and got them into the playoffs, I think Josh Allen's your 2023 MVP. I think it was lost yesterday. And the sad thing was he didn't lose it for him. I think he played like the best quarterback in the league yesterday. I think the way he played only a select few quarterbacks in the history of the league could have done what he did yesterday. And it was for not. And you can say this about numerous games. No more important than, of course, the 13-second game. And when you look back on it, I don't know if you've thought about this other than when I brought it up, but I can't stop thinking about it. I've been thinking about it all day. These games were identical. And how ironic that it came against both teams that battled in the Super Bowl last year. The Chiefs and the Eagles, the Bills had an identical game against them. Josh Allen essentially had an identical game. Gabe Davis, for the most part, the two of his best games of his career in those games, right? And they both go to overtime and they both result in losses. And they both have the lead at the end of regulation as well. I mean, it was just everything about those games were identical. And that's why, to me, I had almost, I had no confidence until the game ended. And I also knew no matter the coin toss, and this is just how I felt, I would have I would have had to have been proven wrong. But knowing that this team had not won a playoff game, not in the stat is 0 and 6 under Josh Allen, but really it's 0 and 6 with McDermott. I think he won one. I think he's one and six. I think he won one before Josh Allen came. But I I I mean, come on. In multiple of those, I don't even think Josh Allen touched the ball. And yesterday he got them the lead. And, you know, what do you know? Prevent defense doesn't work very well against elite wide receivers and a really damn good quarterback. And we've seen that before, but hey, why not try it again? Maybe it'll work this time. Newsflash, uh, it did not. Um, but the, the, those games were absolutely identical. And, and yesterday, going into that overtime, once you watched the 60-yard field goal go in, even when they won the toss, I mean, how were you feeling? Because the 60-yard field goal goes in against the Bills. That might not go in against KC. That might not go in against the Niners. It goes in against the Bills every time. And the way it sets up, too, it's amazing how it's always toying with you. It, it, everything always toys with you to the last second. Just a couple of weeks ago, the Denver Broncos missed the kick. And you, in that moment, it's over. Bills win. 12 men on the field. Yesterday, when does this ever happen? Travis Kelsey, almost unarguably the greatest center in the history of the sport, an undeniable first ballot Hall of Famer. Consecutive false starts. You never, ever see that. And it backed the Eagles up to almost midfield. So 
as they're driving, you're thinking they're, they're going to get a field goal attempt off and they're going to make it. But then once you're backed up to midfield, you're thinking it's raining sideways, cold as hell out. It's on grass, muddied up 60 yards. The odds of this have to be pretty low. And no, of course not. Bang. Mike Brain. Bang. And it would have been good from 70. Might have drifted right if it was from 70, but it sure, it sure as hell had the distance. And it's always toying with you. You win the over, you win the toss. Even that I was completely stunned by. I would have bet my life you just lose the toss there and just lose outright. But you win the toss because why not? Let's make it even more billsy. You go all the way down the field. Josh Allen making unreal plays. What did they have? Two third and 10 conversions in the overtime period. And you got a touchdown to win it on a silver platter. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that in this league. doesn't get more open. And in that situation, you don't get a better look. People today are going to want to sit and say that this one's on Josh Allen because he missed that pass. This one's on Josh Allen because he threw that interception early in the second half. And to those people, I just, I mean, there's no better way to say it, but I mean, you can really just go play on the 90, man. I mean, there's no better way to, to put it. You know, for starters, yeah, Josh Allen had the interception. They also won the turnover battle. Okay, they won the turnover battle despite having the interception. And even with the interception, they had a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. That's with the interception baked in. And at this point, when you have Josh Allen, who has got to be able to make unreal play after unreal play for the Bills to even be competitive, you're essentially baking in a pick at this point every game. You're just hoping it's not there's not numerous or you're also just hoping that with the pick comes tremendous play. There's been several games throughout the year this year where Josh Allen has had picks and played terrible. But with a guy like Josh Allen, you can bake in a pick so long as he plays up to the caliber in which we know he can. And that was a perfect example yesterday. Was the pick ideal? Absolutely not. But how about the fact that even with the interception, the Bills defense holds the Eagles to third and 15. And this, once again, chalk it up to just, it's against the Bills, man. Of course this happened. Olamide Zacchaeus, who I think he averages maybe one catch every two weeks for the Eagles, if that, if that, really. Essentially a, a, a small role player for these Eagles. He makes the catch of the year. It's third and 15, and it was essentially the identical, an identical play to uh, to the Hal Murray. And Micah Hyde, I don't know how this happens. Micah Hyde, throughout his career, one of the best in the business. Olamide Zacchaeus, essentially a bench rider. And he mossed him up, man. I mean, he got behind Hyde. Hyde was totally out of position. Never got his head turned around. Ball was on. I mean, no doubt. Credit to Jalen Hurts. That's a dime. But that should never be caught. should never be allowed in that scenario. So, yeah, the interception happens, but the way they score on it is that play. You know what I mean? It's third and 15, and they score. I mean, I mean, this just happened two weeks ago, too, with Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton's touchdown when Russell Wilson literally just threw a 20-yard Hail Mary. That's what it was. 
he caught it in the exact same area of the end zone as Zacchaeus caught it yesterday. According to AWS, the advanced stats, that was the most improbable catch in the history, in the history of advanced catch metrics. So as long as they have been measuring statistics in regard to the catch probability, that was the least probable catch in the history of the stat. And yesterday, it wasn't that improbable, but still damn improbable. And that's how they score on that. Okay, that's, that, that's neither here nor there. They, they go down and score again. They're up 24-14 going into half, or going, excuse me, going into the fourth. So to those who want to throw it on the INT, one, I mean, my God, you just hate the guy. Admit it. And, and, and if you do, that's fine. We all got players we don't like, and, you know, we all laugh it up when we see him make a terrible play. But holy hell, it, that, to me, yesterday, was one of the best games of his career, and that includes the interception. Now, we go to the overtime period, and there's a couple of uh, talking points here. One, uh, fourth and seven. Or let's talk about the throw first. It's third and seven. And Josh Allen's under a pretty heavy blitz coming from his right side. And he had acknowledged after the game that he had told Davis and whoever else, I'm assuming, that you know he knew the blitz was coming to be ready for just a pretty much a go route, a straight shot to the end zone. I'm just going to throw it up because they're going to be coming. You're going to be open. I'm going to put it up there. And you know this is kind of like the Zapruder film or whatever from the JFK uh, assassination, where you can look at it and you can decipher a million different things from it if you want, and more than likely you're going to decipher whatever it is you already had in your mind to begin with. But I'm trying to look at it the best I can with a um, with an unbiased mind on either Davis's end, who had a great game, or Josh Allen's end, who also had an extraordinary game. The way I saw it, if Josh Allen hangs onto that ball for even a half more second, he is getting sacked, unquestionably. There's a guy coming off the left, uh, his right side on the left edge of the line. He's going to get sacked if he doesn't throw it when he did. I'm looking at Gabe Davis, who's got a step on his receiver, and he never turns his head around until that ball is already well in the air. And to me, if, if he turns around earlier after he beats his man, he sees the, the trajectory of the ball. He knows where to go, and maybe he makes a play. Ultimately, I would give slight more blame to Gabe Davis on that. But at the end of the day, what I think happened there is that the all-out blitz came, and they had to make a guess. Davis had to guess where he thought the ball was going to be. Allen had to guess where he thought Davis was going to go. And of course, once again, in classic Bills fashion, both of them guessed wrong. Had one of them just guessed right, we're sitting here talking about a whole different game, a whole different team, and a whole different light at the end of the tunnel moving forward the rest of the way here. Because if the Bills win that game yesterday, I mean, they're all the way back to me as far as being, uh, you know, in the playoffs, I think, and really making a, a run at it. And that, back to what I was talking about earlier, when I'm talking about what was lost yesterday, 
And I think Josh Allen's MVP chance, which I think would have been great today, was lost. The chances of getting to the playoffs were lost. But not only that, and I had I think I told you guys this already, either this show or Rico's show or one of them. But of course, what it, what we're watching now is the best version of this team this year, and they're not going to be able to take it to the playoffs. That team that played yesterday could be they could win a Super Bowl. If Josh Allen plays like that yesterday, that team can win a Super Bowl. The heartbreaker is they're more than likely not even going to have a chance to put that on display. And a team like the Indianapolis Colts, led by Gardner Minshew, will instead be in their place. Because this is the grave that they have dug from themselves. This is the bed that they have made, and they now have to lie in it. And the unfortunate thing is if you just go back and win a game against Denver or a game against New England or a game against the Jets in week one, you actually feel somewhat decent about yesterday's game. Because what you saw yesterday was a team that can go toe-to-toe with the best team in the league who can, frankly, outplay the living shit out of them for the majority of the game. And you saw that, you know, you you very well should have won it. And, of course, you didn't. But if you had one or two more wins and you were prominently in the playoff picture, you look at yesterday as you go into the playoffs and think, man, that's about as good of a team as you're going to play. And the Bills pretty much waxed them for half of it. They imploded. But even then, they still were a, a, a miscommunication on a route away from winning. And yes, of course, it's a loss. And obviously, the Bills have lost a million games like that. But you do feel confident knowing the Bills still have the ability to go toe-to-toe with some of the best after you have watched them play miserably against some of the worst. And now you're not even going to have really, I mean, unless something incredible happens here, you're not even going to have that chance. I, I will say there's some sort of silver lining from yesterday the way that they played. When you look at the remaining schedule, they can win all of those games if they play like that. But the odds of them playing like that every game, uh, to me, very, very unlikely. Just because I feel like it's incredibly difficult to pick your head up off the floor after a game like that. I mean, they've already had to do it so many times. But they knew yesterday, if they go in and win that, you'll right a lot of the wrongs that have been going on. If you go in and win that, it almost makes, it almost alleviates the loss to a New England or Denver or the Jets. It makes up a lot of ground, and I can't imagine the confidence level it builds. And even though they they played that way within a loss, I don't know if you're able to replicate what they did yesterday with that loss. If you win, maybe you have more confidence. I don't know. Well, obviously... See it unfold over the next month here by week coming up and they'll have the ability to rest up and whatever else, but six and six today in a packed, absolutely loaded AFC playoff picture. I mean, right now it just feels like every single team has an identical record. I mean, for instance, right now, the, the four top seeds, Oh God, my keyboard died, didn't it? The four top seeds right now, they all have identical records. They're all eight and three. And then when you get down to where the Bills are trying to get to, um, it, it's an absolute cluster. And that includes the teams on the outside looking in with the Bills. So it's really up to, it's anybody's game right now. So, like I said, 
All top four seeds are eight and three, except for, of course, the Ravens forgot about them. They won last night and they haven't had their bye uh, yet either. So they're nine and three. But regardless, all top four teams have three losses. And then you have two teams in the Steelers and the Browns, seven and four. And then the amount of six and five teams, there's there's four, uh, three of them, one, six and six. And then the other team is where it starts to really fall off a bit. And I would say with Joe Burrow being out, the Bengals, their chances are done. The Raiders, no one's got a prayer there with seven losses. The, the Chargers essentially, you know, they, they put a lid on their season last night and then the rest are all no chance. So the way you're looking at it, it's the Steelers, Browns, Colts, Texans, Broncos, Bills. And only one of those teams is going to be able to get that seven spot. And I don't know if the Bills have the ability to make up ground in order to get any higher than that seven spot. I'd have to look at the numbers and crunch them. And I'm just frankly too sick to do that. I have no desire to do it. Maybe if they won yesterday, I'd do it and see how far up the ladder they could climb, but I can't today. Um, but Broncos have the tiebreaker over them. If the Bengals somehow figure their shit out with a backup quarterback, they have the tiebreaker. And the fact that Denver, you know, beats up the Cleveland yesterday, they're on an absolute roll. It's not looking good. I think I saw earlier today, what do they got? A 15% chance. It's amazing. Despite everything that's happened this season, a win yesterday and it's a whole different year. A missed 60-yard kick, a made field goal by Tyler Bass, who now all of a sudden is just not reliable. He had one of the best legs in the league until he didn't. I have no faith in Bass anymore. I mean, yes, I know he made a couple yesterday, but <laughs> you know how it goes. Nobody cares about what you did in the moment. They're only caring about the next bat. And, you know, Tyler Bass mix, miss, or makes his, uh, his, his other field goal attempt there. That game doesn't even go to overtime. And, and, and it adds insult to injury when Bass misses his 45-yarder or whatever it was, and Philly's kicker nails a 60-yarder with no time, you know, essentially no time left. Actually, let's get into that because, no, there wasn't no time left. There was 20 seconds left. Let's talk about Sean McDermott's role in all this because, of course, he always has his spoon in the pot of all these losses. He sure does. Look, yesterday, if you wanted Sean McDermott fired, fine. You know, I've been leaning towards that for a while now, unfortunately. I've, I've given you my thoughts on that. I'm not going to beat a dead horse any further. I've given you my thoughts. I think his seat is hot. I think he has had his fair share of blame, 100%. I think there are several games that maybe directly were impacted on him and him alone. But as I've said throughout this entire year, there is no one blame. Certainly not. But you're starting to see, and frankly, you have seen, you're just seeing an addition to it. There is a trend that is irrefutable. I mean, it, it, it is, um, it's blatant. There's no ignoring it. It is the same outcome every time. And what that is, is a big game against a good opponent 
that's real close at the end and the Bills lose. And, you know, there's also examples against teams that aren't good and the Bills lose. Three of them already this year. I mean, I, I don't want to say Denver's not good. I really think that they have had an incredible turnaround. Defense is playing extraordinary. You got to give credit to Sean Payton. But the Bills were the better team in that game. I don't want to say Denver's not a good football team because I really do think they're having one of the better midseason turnarounds that I've personally seen. I mean, hell, when you lose 70 to 20 to a team and you're somehow still in the playoff race, that's impressive to me. But the Bills were the better team and they should have won it and didn't. There have been games throughout his tenure and, of course, this year. Big games, games against weaker opponents, all in between. But the ones that stick out, of course, the big ones. Sean McDermott is the coach who loses every time. And there are moments, whether they're drastic, like I think, you know, some would would be characterized as, like the 13-second game, where I think now you realize as you watch the Bills continue to essentially play prevent coverage in late game crucial scenarios, I think you now understand it was not Leslie Frazier's fault for the 13 seconds. I think it's becoming increasingly clear that that play call was Sean McDermott's. It has happened in nearly every one of these games where they just back the safeties up essentially to the end zone. They give you the entirety of the middle of the field They let you go all the way down the field. And then it's basically up to you what you want to do at that point. Do you want to take it to overtime or do you want to go and win the game? And we've seen a variety of both, right? Yesterday, Eagles had a couple of penalties. They didn't really have the choice to go for the touchdown. So they kicked the field goal and tie it. But hell, Mac Jones went all the way down the field and said, I'm going to end this right now. And he did with time to spare. All resulting in the same, of course, whether or not they win it in regulation or they win it in overtime, all resulting in a Bills loss. And I think there's moments that stick out more than others. No more, of course, than the 13 seconds. But yesterday, to me, is a game where if you wanted Sean McDermott fired, it can't be because of yesterday. Maybe it's a little, maybe you already have the soup that is Sean McDermott's, you know, concoction of games that are going to get him fired. I would imagine, to me at least, yesterday, if, if there's a concoction of games that have lit his seat on fire and it's boiling on the stove, yesterday's game to me is just adding a couple more teaspoons to the ingredients. To me, you're not adding a main dish. You're not adding multiple cups. You're not adding a whole chicken or whatever. But at this point, and this is what I think is happening, at this point, the recipe feels like it's already ready to serve, and the more you keep adding to it, the more you're just going to overflow the pot. What I'm getting at is yesterday, I don't think was the reason that Sean McDermott's seats had all of a sudden be on fire. I think it's already hot. But I don't think yesterday did him any favors at all. And there's one moment in particular that we take away from yesterday on his behalf, and I think what it shows you is probably the the sentiment behind a lot of people's reasoning for wanting to let him go, including myself. I I, got to pretty much go on the record at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where I think I've seen enough. I don't know if this team ever overcomes the continuous outcomes that I have seen over the last several seasons. If they continue to just stay status quo at the head coaching position, 
Yes, they made the change at OC, and that has been fruitful the last two weeks. There is no denying that. And I'm here to admit 100% more blame on Ken Dorsey than I think I was willing to give credit for. Now, whether that was the scheme itself or just him as the coach, whatever, regardless of what exactly it was, the spark that was necessary for these bills was given, and it has been taken advantage of. This offense now has back-to-back games with 30-plus points, and they look absolutely phenomenal. Major credit to Joe Brady, much more blame to Ken Dorsey than I think I was willing to give blame to. I had to see it, right? I had I had to. There were so many elements of this team that weren't working that I could not in good conscience just put all the blame on Dorsey, and I still can't. But on offense, you can clearly tell now he was hindering them. Great choice in letting him go, which I had felt it was the appropriate choice. A move had to be made. But I had just felt I didn't know if it was worth, or I didn't know if the firing was, I didn't know what it was for, whether it was the play calling, whether it was the execution, and he was taking the brunt of it. I, I still, I don't know if I'm entirely sure. But what I do know is there are times with, within teams where something just has to happen for the sake of it happening in order to, to, to light a fire under the team's ass. And we have seen that the last two weeks. It was the right decision unequivocally. And the reasoning behind it, it really does not matter. It just doesn't. This offense and Josh Allen in particular have been much better, much cleaner, much better decision-making, much higher execution under Joe Brady without Ken Dorsey. So yesterday, with this all in mind, by the way, yesterday, we're talking about the moment right before the end of the game. And with, with, with Sean McDermott, to me, like I was just talking about, I think he might be one of the best defensive coaches in this league. What this defense has been capable of doing with practice squad guys due to the amount of injuries they've had, it, it's nothing short of extraordinary. But then there are the moments where you just completely collapse on yourself. There are the moments where you just have no faith in your team that pile up and they just get to the point where they outweigh any of the good you're doing. And yesterday is a perfect example. I think of the microcosm of Sean McDermott's tenure in Buffalo, and we can take it from one half to the next. In the first half, the Buffalo Bills defense absolutely dominated the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Dominated them. The stat line Jalen Hurts had at the half was atrocious. This Bills D was flying all over the field with their head on fire. Seven points at the half, multiple three and outs, multiple punts, two turnovers. This Bills D was playing extraordinary. How you can go from doing what you did against the exact same team in one half, allowing seven points and just frankly dominating. There's no other way to put it. How you can go from that in one 30-minute period to getting absolutely shredded and allowing 30 points in another 35-ish minute period, including the overtime, it, it really, truly makes no sense. And I think it's kind of representative of Sean McDermott's time here as a coach. He has had moments of greatness, including getting this team back to relevancy. 
They've always had a top defense under this team. Under him, excuse me. The regime of him and Bean have built this team up to what it is. And Sean McDermott's played a, he's played a, a sizable hand, I think, in the success of this team over the last several seasons. And that's representative of the first half, right? But there's also these moments that have stacked up almost to a skyscraper size right now, it feels like, or that are representative of the second half, where, you know, he, there's guys you take the good with the bad with, but when the good seems to constantly, or excuse me, when the bad seems to constantly cost you in the most crucial moments, it far outweighs the good. And when you put together as good of a first half as you do yesterday, and you get decimated like you did in the second half, and still, even with that, have the opportunity to just get one more stop in the overtime period, and you not only get dog-walked down the field, but you allow the Philadelphia Eagles to run a play where their players afterwards told reporters they could not believe the Bills set up in the formation they did because they knew in that moment they were going to win the game. They knew in that moment Jalen Hurts was going to score a touchdown. It apparently was a staple in the Philadelphia Eagles offense that they are, you know, obsessed with running because they know how well it works if they get a certain look. And in the red zone, first down in the red zone, they give them that look after just allowing dink and dunk, dink and dunk, dink and dunk all the way down the field. It was abysmal. And I cannot for the life of me understand how you can put together 30 minutes of football like you did in the first half where they weren't able to do anything. And in the following half, in the same game, it's not even a shell of itself. With that in mind, you have 20 seconds on the clock. Or let's go back even a little bit further. You have about 30-ish seconds on the clock. The icing, the kicker to me, it, it's, it, it's, like a, it's like an old wives' tale. Does it ever work? I think I can remember one time that it ever worked. I think it was the Bills playing at the time they were, uh, it, what was it? It was, who was coaching the, it was Washington. Bills were playing Washington, I believe. It worked. I forget, I forget the year. I forget who was coaching. I remember specifically, they kicked it and made it. Bills called a timeout. They kicked it, missed it. Other than that, I mean, I would love to see if, I don't know if this is out there, but if somebody had like a data, ch a data chart of the amount of times icing the kickers worked, I'd venture to believe you. I'd, I'd venture to believe that the results would be it's probably worked five to 10% of the time max. Not nearly enough to justify calling a timeout when you would have two with one of the best quarterbacks on the planet in the middle of an all-time heater getting the ball back with the ability to get into field goal range. They had three. He calls one to set up his defensive adjustments, whatever. I'm not particularly in love with that either, but one of them, fine. The icing, the kicker, because what that tells you in that moment 
is that he was never planning on ever giving Josh Allen an opportunity to try to get something going with about a half minute left in that ball game. Or else he would have saved the timeout. There was never any intention. Now, look, at, I understand there are some teams you take the knee. No debate. If I'm the head coach of the New York Giants, if I'm the head coach of who's on right now, right? Maybe not even. Maybe I don't do that with Justin Fields. I don't know. Maybe not. I'm talking about the dregs of the league right now. If I'm coaching a team like the Giants, right now I'm coaching a team like the Carolina Panthers, whoever. Moral of the story, if I'm coaching a team right now that has a really young, inexperienced quarterback or just a flat-out bad quarterback, yes, I'm taking the game to overtime. I have an MVP caliber quarterback who is in the middle of one of his greatest games of all time, who can't miss seemingly in that game. He's got one mistake up until that point, one. Outside of that, he had been absolutely bawling. Just play after play after play after play. And you sealed his fate before you even knew if that kick was going in or not. And for what? These guys are all pro professionals. That, you know, calling a timeout, if anything, is going to give him an even better chance to make it. Jake Elliott is one of the best NFL kickers in the last decade. Giving him an extra minute to get loose, dial down his approach to the kick, and get ready for it, to me, that's a benefit. It's not a disadvantage. The reason kickers like Jake Elliott are as good as they are, they don't get into their head. If you do, you wouldn't be an NFL kicker. Now, granted, yes, these guys still do miss. But when you're as good as some of the best of the best, which Jake Elliott is in the class of, when you are that good, calling a timeout isn't going to do anything. If anything, I'd much rather have the guy rushed up to the line and having to just do it all in one, in one swing. In my opinion, either way, he probably makes it. He's that good. And you saw on that kick plenty of leg. And it, it, it was... It, it was Dead on. I mean, if he was a little bit farther back, maybe it drifts to the right of the goalpost, but that kick was an absolute laser. I don't think he's missing either way. But with that said, say he does make it without calling the timeout, I then have two timeouts with 20 seconds, and all I need is about 35 yards to at least have a crack at winning this game in regulation. And I'm sure you guys have seen it going around all day today. We go back to just about a year ago to the day, a year ago on Thanksgiving. Same exact scenario at Ford Field in Detroit against the Lions. And they allow Josh Allen, who had a great day that day as well. They allow Josh Allen the ability to try and make something happen. And what do you know? In my opinion, he threw the, the, the ball of the year in the NFL. And at the very least, the ball of the year for him. One of the, if you go through Josh Allen, I don't care what he does from here on out. I don't care what his future looks like. When you put together the all time career highlight reel of Josh Allen, that throw to Stephon Diggs against the Lions on Thanksgiving, it makes it no debate. One of the best throws I've ever seen in my life. And that was in the exact same situation. So you got a, one of the best 
players in the planet at that position. Two timeouts and about a half a minute to go 35 yards. And you don't even allow the opportunity to have two timeouts because in that moment, you already had decided what you were going to do. And the reasoning that he gave where it's a risk-reward, I understand that if my quarterback was Tommy DeVito, Zach Wilson, right? I understand that. Risk-reward, not worth the risk having Zach Wilson try to get 30, 40 yards in 20 seconds. But I'll tell you this right now. Andy Reid, never in his right mind, would take a knee in that scenario. Obviously, we know that firsthand. Because they won in that scenario with seven seconds less than the Bills had. But it's not just him. Andy Reid's never taken a, a, a knee in that situation. I think with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor, they're never taking a knee in that situation. I know for a damn fact, the way Brandon Staley coaches, he's never taking a knee in that situation with Justin Herbert. And with Josh Allen, you take the knee. And you want to know what? The odds of anything coming from that, yeah, they're quite low. I know Josh Allen did it a year ago. It doesn't mean he was going to do it again yesterday. But yet, you can say you tried. You gave it an effort. You take the knee. There's a variety of circumstances I understand taking the knee, and I already gave you a few. And another one I would give you would be if Josh Allen was struggling that game, then maybe I do it. If he's having a game like he did against the Jets, maybe I do it. Maybe. There's no excuse on the planet for yesterday. And as you can tell right now, I'm just trying to think of reasons as to why maybe you would do it. And it's kind of tough. There really is no scenario on the planet with a quarterback like Josh Allen that you do that in. And they did it. And whether that would have won them the game or it would have been the same outcome, it does, it, it's irrelevant. They didn't do it, and you, you'll never know. And that you know, is a moment that will be added to the pile of moments for Sean McDermott that you'll always wonder, what if? What if it was just a different approach? And there seems to be a lot of those. Now, granted, yesterday, that particular scenario is not the reason the Bills lose, right? And I ultimately don't think it's the over... You know, I, don't, I don't think it's the cherry on top that collapses the Sunday and fires McDermott. It's just one more thing. It's just one more thing. And for a guy that has to know by now that he's he's coaching for his job to some degree, for a guy right now that has to know at the very least whether he is coaching for his job or not, he's under the microscope of a lot of people clamoring for him to be at least coaching for his job to make a decision like that, which is incredibly conservative, not a good look at all. It's just not. Um, and then I I I. I Look, I'm not a D coordinator. I'm not a I'm not a film guru. I'm not a much of an X's and O's guy. But you don't have to be to watch what these bills do routinely every single time they're put in a scenario like last night defensively. It, it's almost like you're reliving 
a really bad dream over and over and over again and again and again. The safeties are back. They rush, what, three? Soft zone with numerous open patches around the field. And you just lay back and let them hammer away at you until all of a sudden they're right there. I mean, they do it against anybody. It doesn't matter the quarterback talent. They did it with Tyrod Taylor. They did it with Mac Jones. They did it yesterday with Jalen Hurts. They did it in the 13-second game against Mahomes. It doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the quarterback. They do it against everybody, and it has burned them every single time. And that, to me, is where the significant blame is put on McDermott. And it's fireable. To me, it's fireable. How many more games like that do you have to see the exact same thing play out? in order to, to, to have the dam break. I don't get it. I don't understand the approach. It makes absolutely no sense at all. And you do it every single time. I mean, even yesterday, it's third and four, right? It's third and four, and they're running it in that situation. Devontae Smith catches the first down. There isn't a guy within five yards of him. Just runs a little curl route in front of the first down marker. Boom. And look, I'd almost get it. If you're if you're in a situation where you're up by four or five or whatever, and they need a touchdown, maybe it makes a bit more sense. But when you need a field goal, you're you might as well just without not even kick the ball off. You might as well just put the ball in field goal range and let them have an attempt. Because that's what that defense sets up every time. And it's lost them an infinite amount of big games. Yesterday, massive game. It lost them their best chance to make a Super Bowl under Josh Allen. And it's lost them a variety of other games as well that don't seem as significant because maybe they weren't as big. But in all of these similar games where they're really close at the end, either overtime or right at the wire, it it happens every time. And it's happened multiple times this year, and it's happened what seems like 10, 15-plus times in Sean McDermott's tenure. And if you expect a sample size like that to just all of a sudden not continue to represent what we've already seen, I don't know what to tell you. And that, to me, is where you start looking into the reasoning behind having to make a move here. And yesterday is just another example. He doesn't win a big game. And people want to say Josh Allen can't win a big game. And that to me is is laughable. Josh Allen had the best game of any quarterback the entire year against the Chiefs in the divisional round. There is not a single thing more that that man could have done in that game. And he lost. That's not Josh Allen can't win the big game. Josh Allen won you the big game. You lost it. Josh Allen yesterday. He had you with a 10-point lead at half. Despite a turnover in the third quarter, he had you at a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. And he had you with a one-score lead in overtime. And you lost. 
And, you know, this is what bugs me. Yeah, could Josh Allen not have thrown the pick? Sure. Man, everyone would, wouldn't you have loved for Josh Allen to have a perfect game? Wouldn't that have just been great? Could Josh Allen have hit Gabe Davis? Yes. But those are two things you can take away from it. And the Bills ran nearly 100 offensive plays. And you can really take away, on Josh Allen's part at least, about two where he wishes he probably had him back. And when I look at what the offense did yesterday, it is absolutely unfathomable that this Bills team lost this game. They outgained Philly 505 to 378. They outthrew, they out uh, they outgained him through the air 332 to 193. This is the one that was the most miraculous to me, and I couldn't believe it. And it was the first time in a long time that I had the utmost faith in the Bills moving the ball. They had 13 third down conversions, many of which were like third and eight or longer. It was unreal. Josh got at least two or three of them with his legs. They got multiple through the air. It was some of the best third down offense I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was night and day compared to what we've seen in the past this year. And not only that, it was 13 to four in favor of the Bills, third down conversions. They won the turnover battle, which we knew that, you know, they would have to do. And when you have a team as good as the Bills can be, that usually results in a victory. They also had the ball for 16 more minutes. And I can't remember the exact number of plays, but I think they ran nearly 100 offensive plays to Philly's roughly 60. And they lost. So how you can get on the offense in any capacity to me there, especially one where you're putting the majority of the blame, it's unbelievable to me. And you know me, I've come on here all year, and I've, I have felt that the majority of these Bills' losses had been at the hands of this offense. I had told you when I had thought the Bills' defense had definitely played their fair share uh, within them, especially the Patriots game where I felt like it was really on them that game. This one, though, yeah, you had a great first half, but who the hell cares when you did what you did in the second half and in the in the in an overtime? And you can't tell me to me. I have a tough time thinking it's personnel when I watch that exact same personnel do what they did for thirty straight minutes before what was about to ensue in the second half. It just felt like Sirianni and the Eagles were able to figure out what they had to do to take advantage of what the defense was giving them. And the, and the Bills defense never, or the Bills coaching staff never had a counterpunch to that. And ultimately, it wound up costing them the game. And it's crazy to me, you know, to me, the majority of the blame in this one would probably fall on the Bills defensive uh, inefficiencies in the second half and in overtime. I, it's really hard to not think that that's where the bulk of it lays. But my God, you when you put the numbers up that they did, you really have to have a perfect storm of shit go wrong. And of course, in typical Bill's fashion, a perfect storm of shit went wrong. Pulling up a graphic my dad sent me that kind of embodies exactly what I'm talking about here. And it really goes to show you just how truly unreal just how truly rare, just how truly Billsian of a loss this one was yesterday. Here it is. The Bills are the 40th team 
since the 1970 merger to have 500 yards, 10 third down conversions, and a positive turnover margin in a game. They are the first team ever to lose in that scenario. Teams in the same scenario entering yesterday were 39 and 0. You can't tell me that's not on coaching. We're talking an all-time historic loss, and how many of those do they have? How many of them? As you can see, this is what happens. It's like in the beginning of the show, I'm so fired up, and now I just get to the point where I'm just, I'm defeated. Like, you read something like that, and you're just defeated. Like, what can you even say to that? The exact same scenario the Bills were in. There were 39 teams in that exact scenario before yesterday. And all 39 of them won. All of them. It's historic, trend-breaking shit that these guys do. And it's just, it's, it's sad. It's sickening. It's sad. You know, it's funny. Like, when, you, when I talk to my fiance about this stuff, it's, it's fun at times because... She'll ask questions that you don't typically get asked because when you're talking about football, you're typically talking about football with people who at the very least are real into it or, or, or into it. You know, they, they know stuff. They know players and, and teams and whatever basic crap. And um, so she asked me yesterday, how much longer will they be good? And she asked me how long, like she, she was asking me, you know, is it really true that some of these quarterbacks are way better than others? And I'm like, yes, because she's watching the Eagles pick apart the Bills defense yesterday. And it's tough for someone who doesn't watch football often to understand why Josh Allen is the better quarterback on the field yesterday. And that's no slight at Jalen Hurts. I think he's a phenomenal quarterback. But the difference is, if Josh Allen is on that Eagles team, I think the Eagles probably win that game yesterday by two or three scores. Whereas if I think Jalen Hurts is on the Bills team, I think it's a, it's a loss for the Bills regardless of what, what goes on. And it's really tough to, to decipher that when you're not really watching all that often. And she asked me how much longer, and I said... I haven't really thought about it, but when you think about it, you might have 10 more years of Josh Allen. And she said, well, how long, how many of those were, will he be really good? And you think about it and you really don't even know if you want to convince yourself of an honest answer, but the honest answer would probably be anywhere from like five to seven. And you look back at what we've already done here in six seasons. And you can't help but think after games like yesterday, watching what he does and going home with a loss, you just can't help but feel like it's all being wasted. All of it. And there's so many moments to go back on. And you can't get them back. And you, you never know if you can replicate them again. You never know how long this will last. You never know if there's an injury around the corner, right? Because we've gotten insanely lucky there. Think about that. With all the injuries this year, especially at the quarterback position, Josh Allen, he's been available damn near every single game of his career. We've gotten insanely lucky. And you don't know how much longer you got. And when you have it now and you're, and you're wasting it like you did yesterday, I mean, the fact that you could just waste a whole year like this year and not even make the playoff. And the crazy thing to me is 
The AFC is so wide open. It's insane. The Bills would have as good a chance as anybody to win the Super Bowl this year out of the AFC if they made it. They would. There's plenty of teams who, when they're playing their best, they look unstoppable. And there's plenty of teams who, when they're playing adversely, they they look incredibly beatable. And you can say that about every single one of these AFC teams. You know, you watch Baltimore dominate, beat the living hell out of Detroit. But then all of a sudden, you're watching games where they blow a 20-some point lead to, to the Cleveland Browns. You're watching games. I forget the exact opponent they had. They had at least one game this year where they got rolled up on, right? You're watching the Kansas City Chiefs. We all know what they're capable of, but then you also watch them lose 24 to nine and not lose or not score a single touchdown against the Denver Broncos. I mean, all of these teams have these games, all of them. And I feel like if the Bills got in, they have as good a chance as anyone. It doesn't mean that they ultimately go and do it. But the fact that you even waste the opportunity to have a shot at it is just, it's criminal. And that's kind of what they're facing right now. They're staring that right in the face. And it's a real tough pill to swallow, especially if it's one that we have to come to terms with and, and actually swallow. We don't have to do that just yet. We still have this glimmer of hope that we can hang on to. But it, it, it's a you know it's it's like looking at a light bulb through a a straw. That's the glimmer of hope right now. Um, you know, look. We all, this is, this is where I got to spin it to, because, because I'm just, I'm just telling you how I feel. I mean, this is honestly how I feel. And this is not, I'm not trying to be the classic cliche. Hey, yeah, there's nothing. I mean, there's so many things about fans and this goes for all fan bases that just piss me off to no end. One of them that annoys me the most is if you have any critique, you're not a true fan. Any true fan battles to the end. Go Bills. I love my Bills. Oh, like I saw this interaction yesterday somewhere. I forget where, but someone was just mapping out the percentage of the Bills chance to get to the playoffs. And I literally saw someone comment like, no true fan would ever talk like that. They're in it till the end. And it's just like, you're going to argue with math. I mean, you're going to argue with like legitimate statistics in front of you. It you It's delusional. It's off the charts insanity and nothing makes me more mad but where i'm coming from is i think any level-headed fan knew look the bills chances are slim we get that they'd be much greater if you if you win games like yesterday that no one really thought maybe you would or you win you know two of those games or whatever here's how i see it okay they play like yesterday. They can beat the Chiefs. The Cowboys are horrendous on the road. The Cowboys at home, they might be the best team in the NFL. Cowboys on the road, I don't want to say horrendous. They're not the same team. They're beatable. And there's just something in my, in my heart of hearts that tells me Dak Prescott's not coming to Buffalo and winning. Don't know why. That's just how I feel about that game. The Chargers, you guys know who the Chargers are. More than beatable. Bills ain't losing to New England twice. Not a, not a prayer. If they do, I think we might need to all come on here together and in, in, in ceremony, just burn everything. Like, if that happens, I think we all need to get together on here and we need to, at the very least, we need to burn one thing. I'll make that promise to you right now. 
If the Bills lose again to the New England Patriots at home on New Year's Eve, I have got to come out here and burn something. I don't know what it is. I'll decide at the time. I don't even want to have to make the decision. I have got to have a stake in the game on that because that's how, that's how confident I am. There's no way. And then look, until I'm proven otherwise, the Bills, they got the upper hand on the Dolphins. Home, away, doesn't matter. So what am I getting at? Nobody expected the Bills to beat the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys. Did they make it way harder on themselves by losing the front end of those three games? Oh, you'd better believe it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It ain't over. And that team I saw yesterday, offensively at least, that team I saw yesterday, they can beat anybody. They can compete with anybody. What are they going to do? You win out. You put yourself at 11-6. and You're in. You're in. That's going to do it. Are they going to win five straight? Well, they've done it before. I don't anticipate it. But how I see it, the way I look at the other teams in the landscape as well, I think they got a decent chance to get in at 10 and 7. One more. If they lose to the Chiefs, I'm done. If they lose to the Chiefs, I... I I can't even say that because I just think all, I think the games after the Chiefs game are the most winnable. I don't know. Here I go again. I don't know. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is the team I saw yesterday, that team can beat anybody. And it would just, it, it wouldn't even be a shame for us. It would be a shame for football fans if the team we saw yesterday was left out of the playoffs. I mean, God, God bless him. I know my buddy Tex is watching. No slight at him. Big, big Colts fan. But you ask anybody who's not an Indianapolis fan who they'd rather see competing in the playoffs, Gardner, Minshew, or Josh Allen. Do I need to, do I need to answer that, that question for you? It would be an utter shame to the football if this team that we saw yesterday is not in the dance. And despite the loss yesterday, that's as good as this team has looked against the, a, a good opponent in months. And it's back to what I was saying earlier, the unfortunate reality in having the season you've had is that yesterday's loss, if you just win the games prior to it that you should have, like the New England game, like the Jets week one, the Broncos game, even if you win two of those, hell, maybe even if you win one of those games, yesterday's loss feels way better to me. But even with knowing the stakes, I just saw a Bills team yesterday that looked better than I think they've looked since about week four. In classic Bills fashion, what I think will happen is they'll probably continue to play like this and either lose one more and by some crazy tiebreaker, they'll be left out. or They'll, it'll just happen in whatever. They'll make up some new, insane, heartbreaking loss that we've never seen before. That's probably how I see it going. But I will say, based on yesterday, I do think we get the best version of this Bills team moving forward, win, lose, or draw. I think that that's where they're at right now. I know yesterday sucks, and I do think that yesterday's really tough to replicate. When I say the best version of this Bills, 
Yesterday, I think, is even a tier beyond that to me. Like, yesterday's offense, that's that's like, it's, it's back to the 13-second game. We have not really seen that offense played to that caliber against a top-five team in this league other than that 13-second game for the most part. And I don't know how feasible it is to expect them to do that in five consecutive weeks two of the games in which or three of the games in which rather are against playoff teams. But if we can get the best version of a team that I think when they're playing at that level is a really tough out, I think they got a chance. Now let, let me, let me define what I mean by what I'm saying here. There's levels. I think I don't even want to call it best. The best level. There's like an elite level. There's like best and elite there's tiers and i think yesterday was elite offensive play but i think like the best level might be the jets performance it just felt like the jets offensive performance was a step below what yesterday's was and they still scored 32 and put on a terrific performance i just think that if we get to the level that we saw the last couple of weeks or close to it they're going to be in the majority of these games so we shall see. But I do anticipate we get their best crack. Now, whether that looks like yesterday or not, I don't know. But they know what's at stake. And we've seen the last two weeks that on display. Win, win, lose, or draw. They have played, they have played the way that they've needed to play in order to, to make the run. And yesterday went terribly wrong. But not for a lack of effort by a guy in JA-17 in this offense that you could certainly have had that argument prior to that game. Let's go to some comments. Haven't been to the comments section all night, so apologies to anybody who super chatted. You know we got to get the rant in, then we get to this point in the show, which we're at now. Only a couple of them, though, so good. Not bad. We got Mark coming in about an hour or so ago and he's saying McDermott better went out like as we were talking I mean I don't know if winning out I mean it would it would shock the hell out of me boy would it be something else I don't I don't know if I see it I mean man that would be something but yeah McDermott wins out I think he saves his job not to say I don't even know if his job is uh in position of needing saving yet I don't know if we know that yet it all depends on the rest of the the, the year here I think if the Bills play competitive ball the rest of the way, there's a good chance McDermott's probably still sticking around. But if they end up going, they're six and six today. If they end up going, you know, eight and nine, winning only two of their remaining five, I think you probably see him gone. It all depends on how the rest of the way looks, how competitive they look. And if, you know, more of yesterday happens, I don't think they want to fire him. And I understand the reason why, but it's starting to get to the point where you're, you're coming to terms with the fact that in order to start making your way past games like yesterday being losses, you're going to need to make the ultimate move. There's two major moves you can make in the sport, a head coaching move and a quarterback move, certainly not doing the latter. And we all know that if anything's going to be done, it's going to be done at that head coaching position. I would say right now, at six and six, nothing is set in stone there by anybody making the making the call. 
the remaining way here will certainly determine that. And I would have to say if the beginning of Sean McDermott's tenure, if his seat was at zero degrees, I would say today it's got to be at about 75. And he can cool that down depending on how it goes. But I, I got to tell you, it's as hot as it's ever been, rightfully so. And he's got five games to really determine what the rest of his NFL future looks like. You know what's crazy to me, and I think about this, and it's amazing that it can never happen because nope, it's like it's like any other job. You know, we look at these jobs as these. It's almost like being the president. It's like oh, they're unobtainable jobs, and you know, you get it. There's only 32 of them to go around, but the the structure of these jobs are the same as any job that any any of us have, right? And you don't want to willingly take a demotion. Nobody would want to do that. Because not only does it come with a pay decrease, but of course it comes with a power, a power control decrease. It comes with a lack of status, a lack of whatever. Not that I think McDermott really cares about that, but we all know with, with a demotion becomes demoted everything. Not just the job, but everything takes a step down. The, the, the shameful thing is, I would love if there would be an ability to just uh, go to McDermott level-headedly and say, look at Sean, we love you, man. And we love what you've done with this defense. We love what you've done with this team. But we are feeling as though we need to make a major directional change culturally and just at the, at the forefront of the organization. Will you take the head coach or will you take the defensive coordinator job and we, we make a switch at head coach? It'll never happen. It'll never happen. But I would love that. Because like I keep saying, I love Sean McDermott, the D.C., the only thing that I that makes me sick to my stomach are these are, are the the personnel groupings that he winds up going with at the end of the game. And if you could get a head coach in there to overrule that, then maybe we're we're in a great place. But that's just never going to happen. You could just get somebody that that has the, the 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 power over him to just be like, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this. Then I think he's one of the best defensive coaches in the league. like what Danny's saying. He's like, no, I get that. So this is what I'm getting at. Like at the end of the game here, I, I don't know if there's any worse defensive coaching in the league, but like the totality of McDermott's body of work defensively has been more or less extraordinary. Some of the best in the league. And when you factor in what he's doing it with to this year, I, I, there's no knocking at all what he's done. You know? And J-Dub, and this is, J-Dub's summarizing this perfectly. And this is exactly what I'm getting at when I say it'll never happen. This is really why. When you do make that demotion, it always just, you have the aura. It's, the, it's an elephant in the room. You have the aura of the ghost of that, of, of the past. Even though the guy's still there, the ghost of what he used to be in the building still lingers. So, you can't really eradicate that without getting rid of the guy itself. So that's why it'll never work. But in a perfect world where nobody cares about where they are on the status, uh, on the status chart or nobody cares about what they're making, as long as they're making good money, which you're still making damn good money, you know? Um, I think it would be great, but JW summed it up perfectly.
Um, and Marks, he's saying, yeah, he's doing it with studs up front. Yeah, no, he's certainly, I mean, there's, don't get me wrong. There's still certainly some tremendous talent on defense. I'm not talking about this whole defense coming from off the street, but my God, I mean, when you look at the loss of Tredavious White, the loss of Matt Milano, the loss of Daquan Jones, and you, and you also take into consideration that you didn't have really a, a cornerback two to begin with, and you already had an aging safety core as well. Not to mention that a lot of the guys up on the line, um, they've rotated in and out. A lot of them have had injuries and have come back, you know, game here, game there. It's been a revolving door. And you also factor in that Von Miller, it's just nothing. There's nothing there. Nothing. It, it, it'll go down. We'll look back at the money given and the years given. I mean, unless something absolutely extraordinary comes out of his play over the next year here, I mean, it'll go down as just an absolute, one of the worst offseason moves that this team's ever made. Um, he's he 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 can't even he can't even get close to the quarterback and that that's just in the plays that he's given which are few and far between to begin with and when i'm watching guys out there you know who had been in role positions like aj epinesa for instance i'm watching guys out there who are balling out with their opportunities it's really tough to even at this point in time justify giving von miller snaps the way he's playing but at the same time, it's also really tough not to when you also look at the money you gave him. But he's not healthy. It's visible. It's obvious. He is impacting the game zero. And it's, it's just blatant when you're watching him. And that's even when he's on the field at all. Back to, the, uh, some, to some super chats here. Darren coming in. Darren is saying media crucifying Josh Allen from McDermott's two minute defensive crumble. Once again, it's honestly disgusting. It's, it's, it's pure stupidity. It's pure stupidity. And look, like I, I'm sure you guys, some of you guys were in on it earlier uh, when I was on the AFC East round table. So that's a different situation. You, we're, we're talking amongst fans. Obviously I, I gave it to TD and I gave it to um, the boys there when they were getting on Josh Allen, but you gotta, you gotta separate the, the two scenarios. That's a room full of guys who are diehard fans of the Bills' arch rivals. So in their heart of hearts, I don't think they truly believe what they're saying. And they're saying it because, you know, you're talking trash to the opposing team. But of course, I got to get I gotta get back after them, no question. The difference between something like that and what, what I consistently see on these shows, and I don't watch them at all. Like, I, I cannot for the life of me understand how somebody could spend their valuable time watching a show like first take. I, 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 sometimes I've had it on in the background. Like I'll have ESPN on, like sometimes I'll leave the, um, the TV on for the cats at night if I'm gone or whatever. And I'll come back home and ESPN will be on. I'll, that's what I left on for him. And it'll be on. And I can't even fathom what I'm watching much less understand how that gets the ratings that it does. And how people buy into it is extraordinary to me. Once again, today, they, they, I saw the, the screenshot of the segment on Twitter today. They were having a roundtable debate about whether or not that game last night was the fault of Josh Allen. And when, when, you're, when you're... Oh, my God. It's, 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 it's extraordinary to me. There's, it's such a lack of credibility. It's such a lack of creativity. It is just so lazy 
and it is so uninspiring and it's unwatchable. And the fact that you build your entire broadcast model around whether or not this is going to get people pissed off online is truly a sad representation of what has become of media in the current day. And this is what can be said about a lot of things. This is almost what everything has become. Even the short form online stuff where you constantly see people like messing with innocent people on the street and stuff for Instagram videos. Like it goes down to the lowest level all the way to the top. And now, you know, a gigantic corporation like Disney, they wouldn't want to make you think that they're stupid at that level, but they just do it in a much different way. They just do it in a much, much different way. And this is a perfect example. When you're actively watching that game yesterday and then follow that up with a conversation about Josh Allen's performance after it and whether or not it was on him, I, I mean, how that even makes it out of a meeting is I, I went to school for broadcasting and communications. I used to do the, the local news. I was a, believe it or not, I did, I did sports a lot, sports reporting. But I also, and I'll, I'll have to show you guys this one, one of these nights when I pull up the archives. Um, I used to be the nightly news reporter or the news anchor. And I would read the local news for Oswego. And before every show, even at the college level, you sit around, you have a meeting about everything and you talk about what's going to make the show and what doesn't. And then you have those topics and you make sure that they're covered correctly. And so I know what that looks like to some degree. And the fact that the meeting is, is sitting around talking about this even being relevant much less being relevant enough to make a major major viewed show on the most popular sport network in the in the country to me i i just think it boils down to they they sit there and they say this what's going to get people fired up and that's why i don't watch it i don't feed into it and it's even ridiculous that i'm even talking about it right now but you know darren you brought it up and it's it's right that you did because it, it is shameful that 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 is what is being perceived and it is often perceived. And I don't know what Josh Allen ever did to be the guy that is immediately crucified in crisis. Like, as you know, as you watched my show here throughout the course of the season, like, you know, especially after a game like the Broncos game, for instance, there were times where I would come on here and I would be the person to say, look, there has got to be a time when Josh Allen gets his fair share of the blame. There's a difference between blaming the whole thing on him and not giving him any of the blame. I think both sides are nuts. There's got to be a middle ground. Anybody who's level-headed, who's watched all the Bills games this year, knows there are several games where Josh Allen certainly played a hand towards losing them for the Bills, right? We all know this. But what has he ever done? Because every quarterback has those games. What has he ever done to be able to deserve what this is this morning? Because like when the Chiefs lost to the Eagles last week, nobody had that conversation yesterday, the next day. The only conversation was the drop passes. Stephon Diggs must have dropped three balls yesterday. There must have been in totality seven, seven drop balls yesterday, it felt like. So this morning, instead of talking about Tyler Bass missing a kick, Instead of talking about the defense allowing 30 points after half, right? 
instead of talking about Olamide Zacchaeus catching one of the most improbable touchdowns of the entire season, instead of talking about all of the little things that added up, and also in addition to that, and we'll talk about this in a minute, instead of talking about the most egregious officiated game I think I've ever seen in my life, and I know that to be true because it's not coming from a biased angle. You couldn't go online last night without seeing somebody talk about it. And I'm, I'm not talking about just Bills fans. I'm talking about people all the way up the chain from, I saw CBS reporters even talking about it. Like CBS news reporters talking about it. It was that bad. And we'll talk about it in a minute. Because to me, what's going on with the officiating, uh, it's truly ruining the love of the game for me. It's really taken my love out of the game. It's ruining the sport. And I know the NFL has a cash cow on its hands right now, but it's going to get to the point where it ruins the game to the so badly that that cash cow is going to bleed dry. They have absolutely got to get it figured out. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, what I'm getting at is there's a million things that you could talk about today, like we talked about on here. And none of them are mentioned. It's just, let's just talk about how this is 17's fault for some reason. And let's just say he missed Gabe Davis on that throw where we don't even know who's to blame on it. And we also, you know, in that particular moment, we don't know. For all we know, that could have been the right throw. I don't know. Tough situation. It's certainly a mistake. Absolutely. I'm not, I am not relieving Josh Allen of any uh, fault there. Right. And then the interception, of course, too. But when I also have a guy go into one of the toughest places in the country to play and put up 34 points in a rainstorm and put up the stat line that he did, I mean, guys, we haven't even mentioned it tonight, the stat line that Josh Allen had. 339 yards through the air, two touchdowns through the air, and then on the ground, I mean, he led all rushers in the entire game, and this is a game that featured... DeAndre Swift, one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the league, Jalen Hurts. James Cook, who's a top five rusher in this league right now, according to the stats, right? Josh Allen led all rushers on only nine carries, and he also punched it in the, in, in the end zone twice. And not only was the, was the stats reflective of the, of the play, because I think it certainly was, the nine carries for 81 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, extraordinary. But when they came as well, they weren't just like your run of the mill, okay, Josh, go run it now. They were some of the hardest earned yards I've ever seen. A couple of them went for major, major first downs on third down. Obviously, a couple of them went for touchdowns. The, the numbers aren't even reflective of how good he played, and the numbers are phenomenal. They're truly incredible. The guy had over, nearly 450 all-purpose yards, four touchdowns, and you can pinpoint two mistakes. And I, I would implore you to go through any game this whole year and find a quarterback who didn't have a single mistake. And, and I mean, to the point where Jalen Hurts, they, they turn the ball over twice in this game. If they lose, I just wonder if anybody today is blaming Jalen Hurts for the awful first half he had and for the interception that he had as well. I don't think they are. So my overall point here is I don't know what it is about Josh Allen to where he all of a sudden is the one guy out of all these guys who just – all the burden falls on him. It never happens with Joe Burrow. It never happens with Mahomes. And look at Mahomes, I get. He's earned that. Mahomes, two-time MVP, two-time Super Bowl champion. I get that. I'm not expecting anybody to put blame on Mahomes. If I was a Chiefs fan, I probably wouldn't either. The guy's earned that right. Truly. I, even if the guy has a bad night, you're going to sit and harp on him? 
for after after what the guy's done. If the guy retired today, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. It's really tough to do. But the rest of these guys, man, there's just never any national fault given, I feel like, at least in comparison to 17. And I understand the criticism when it's due. And I feel like it's often never given at those moments. It's given in moments like this where it's not due, but it's just a click. It's a clickable topic. And so they run with it. I a hundred percent understand holding him accountable. And I've tried my best to do that on this show when I felt like it's necessary, but for a game like yesterday to lead into a conversation about that, absolutely asinine. And just, you know, frankly, there's no better way to describe it, but, but stupid, stupid. And I understand that these guys are trying to get ratings up, clicks up, conversation online, but at what cost? Is it worth sounding like an absolute moron? Because if it is, then, hey, pat on the back. And, 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 and you know, at the same time, joke's on me. You know, the cash and million-dollar checks, celebrities, I get all that. What, you know, hard to dog on them. But, man. Where's the honesty and where's the, I don't know. I mean, where's the self-respect truly? It's got to be real tough to go on there and say a bunch of BS that is just, you got to know deep down is totally, totally false. I digress. I've spent enough time talking about that horse shit. Uh, Life with ASAP coming in. I'm sorry, but our defense sold us out. It's common. I mean, yeah, the defense sold us out yesterday there's almost no debating it and there are times throughout the year that you could very well make that argument as well the thing that I've always defended them on is that in the games that you could argue that they sold them out on like the um the Jets game maybe I, I don't even think you could no bad example that that game not even close um but a game you could consider that the, the blame to go on the, on the defensive shoulders, the Patriots, and I've given them their fair share of the blame for that game. And in fact, I've, I've said numerous times on here, that game to me was far more on the defense, but at the same time, that that is an offense in the bills that turned the ball over their first play of the game, basically spotted the Patriots a 10 point lead, still no excuse at all. But what the difference between a game like that um, and a game like, Yesterday, for instance, or let's even go to, to Denver where people get on the defense for allowing Denver to get in position to score. And I understand that it's definitely right, right to, to do that, to, to get on them for that. But in that game, the Bills had 21 points on the scoreboard and really hadn't done much of anything offensively like we had become accustomed to seeing from them over the last month and a half, two months here where they just weren't doing anything on offense. And I had said, I have a real tough time getting on the Bills defense for not coming up late when they were coming up the entire game and the offense never was able to match them. The difference between that and yesterday is that the offense absolutely balled out and the defense showed you in the first half what they were capable of. They were really, honest to God, putting together maybe their best performance of the year and they've had some great ones. And for it to do a 180 the way it did is unexplainable to me. I, I sit here, it, it, the same reaction I had last night in real time is the same reaction I currently have ro- rolling through my mind. I can't understand it. And I know the easy answer is adjustments, and I, I think that's there's plenty to do with that. And it's very obvious the Eagles made adjustments, the Bills did not. But to the tune of going from seven points allowed to 30 points allowed, 
in one half and just not being able to do a whole lot of anything, not being able to stop a nosebleed when you, when they couldn't do a damn thing in the beginning. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, man. And it's a damn shame. Another historic Josh Allen performance wasted by uh, just a lack of serviceable defense. There's no better. There's no really other way to put it. Craig McDowell coming in. Zbot, if they finish nine and eight and miss the playoffs, do you think Pagula fires McDermott? Other content creators are saying that this is unlikely, but I'm curious what your take is on this. Thanks. Well, thank you, Craig, for the question. I appreciate you asking because I think it's a really good question, and I think there's one that it's one that very rightfully so has people like myself split down the middle as to what side they're on. That's why I think it is, it is, uh, it's tough to give a definitive answer. I, I think that question is a perfect question because you are going to, like you said, find a majority of people on one side and a majority on the other. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because I think that there is a lot of reason to want to keep McDermott. I do think that. I also have now witnessed throughout his time here way too many occasions where it's felt like he has very obviously played a fair share in, in the loss for the team. And when a coach is hindering your team and not moving them forward, it's like we talked about with Dorsey. It's time to make a move. Whether he is the worst coach ever, or he's a good coach who just has these frequent moments of ineptitude. If you're, if you're stepping back and you're asking yourself, is he moving these guys forward? And the answer is no, or close to a no to me, that, that means move on because if I'm able to, to step back and I feel confident in saying, I don't think that these guys go further than they already have with this guy. Well, then, then what am I, what am I waiting for? Something just out of nowhere to magically happen that already hasn't happened. And to me, that's a bit foolish. But on the other side of things, I also look at what, what I think the, the management sees in, in Pagula, right? I, what, what I think they see in McDermott, what they see is a guy that right shortly after they purchased the team, this guy comes in and brings a team out of obscurity. And propels them to one of the best teams in the league. Now, was that surely benefited by drafting Josh Allen, trading for Stephon Diggs? Yes, of course. But you can't sit here and tell me that, you know, Sean McDermott hasn't done an extraordinary job in rebuilding the team the way he did early on. And then, of course, continuously allowing this defense to be one of the best in the league. Those are unarguable to me. But we're at the point now where the days of rebuilding the Bills back to prominency are long gone. No one cares about that anymore. And it's amazing because at the time, all you wanted to do was just make the playoffs, get a damn wild card. Who cares if you win or lose, just end the drought. You go from that to now, that's irrelevant. And I think McDermott was great for doing that. I, thought, I think he was great for coming in and building an exceptional culture that, in my opinion, allowed the Buffalo Bills to be one of the more respected locker rooms in sports, it had just felt like they had a good thing going 
the way that they were perceived and the way that they represented themselves. And I know there's been some bumps in the road here and there, but collectively there really hasn't been a whole lot of issues. And I think that's a credit to Sean McDermott. And then I keep saying, and I'll say it again, because it's just the, the, the main reason why it would be tough to lose McDermott. This defense has been a top tier defense under Sean McDermott throughout his entire time here. And I get all of that. I also get, you know, people probably, and I'm not entirely sure, but I'm sure a lot of people who are on the don't get rid of them side are also looking at all of the other things that have happened to these bills that have resulted in losses like yesterday that aren't just the blame of Sean McDermott. And I do get that. Like yesterday, I had told you, I don't think you know, McDermott played a, a hand in it with the 22nd thing and then the lack of any creativity on defense at the end, it still just doesn't make any sense to me how you run the defense you do and continue to do that in that situation. But at the same time, you know, McDermott doesn't miss the bass kick, right? And McDermott doesn't uh, make the most unbelievable throw and catch to Olamide Zacchaeus. Like, I think that that play out of all of them continues to be overlooked because it's such a good play, but it's like, that was insane that that happened. Third and 15 rolling off your back foot to the, uh, uh, to the sideline and putting it where it did and him coming down and bounds with that. Right. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I know Hyde's out of position, but I don't know if that's on McDermott. It's certainly not on McDermott to drop the, the, the easiest touchdown James Cook will ever have. I haven't even talked about that yet. Right. I mean, right there, there's just, and, I, and I'll rule out the, the touchdown that Zacchaeus had because it's an extraordinary play. They happen, but those other two examples, that's 10 points just gone off the board. And I know a lot of people also want to talk about the blocked field goal. To me, that's irrelevant because the Eagles blocked the field goal, but then the Bills immediately forced the fumble and scored a touchdown almost instantly. So you have to wonder if the Bills do make a field goal there, does the fumble ever happen? Does the Bills ever score a touchdown? before half and go up 17 to seven. So that to me is null and void. But even, you know, with that out of the equation, those two other plays result in 10 points off the board in a game that went to overtime. You would have really only needed one of them to work. And neither of them did. I mean, I don't know how the hell James Cook dropped that ball. I really don't. And, um, and then the missed field goal from Bass. Just, you, you saw on display yesterday, the identity of these two, uh, these two, franchises over the last however many years. I mean, the Eagles have been an extraordinary franchise for a while now, for the majority of my life, really. And what you saw yesterday is pretty much a, a good representation of what these two are currently and what the Bills certainly have been. The Eagles yesterday, despite not playing their best, despite having a real piss poor first half and despite making mistakes of their own and several of them, they won the game. And they have now done this in four consecutive weeks and in two consecutive weeks, they have won a game where they were down by double digits at half. So they prove time and time again that they win those games. The Bills prove time and time again, despite playing maybe their best game of the year, despite their quarterback maybe playing the best game of his career, right? This, that, and the other thing. They lose those games. And that's the ultimate difference. And as we talk here, and this is how it goes with all these games. It's a little thing here. It's a little thing there. But the difference is the little things always seem to result in a Bills loss, whereas these other teams like the Eagles, the little things might happen to them, but they overcome them every time. 
every time. And, uh, you know, the, the yesterday the Bills certainly had a fair share of their little things. And when you're on the road against the reigning NFC champs who have lost one game all year, you know, you cannot leave 10 points on the board. And the Bills absolutely did that. And even with that, they've had a million opportunities throughout the rest of the game to, to, to win. And uh, they didn't. One of the factors, uh, one more super chat before we get into the, to that, this whole thing. Um, by the way, I keep looking over at this Vikings-Bears game. Holy moly. And this is what I'm getting at. It's like, how come we can't get a game like that like tonight? I mean, I get it's Josh Dobbs versus Justin Fields, and it's not the, the greatest matchup in the world, but it's always got to be the Bills game. That's the greatest game. You know, we can never get a good game like this. It's three nothing going into half. It's like Christ. Um, JT2K26 coming in. And he's saying, Dolphins fan, here you guys can drop that game. It's not an AFC game. It's definitely was a heartbreaker. But if you went out, you in, and I'm scared. Good. Well, hey, how about an honest Dolphins fan? Let's give a round of applause to JT2K26. Brother, you're one of one. I don't mean that lightly. Seriously. You don't see many of those. I love that. The level-headed fan right there. You don't, you don't find them often. I appreciate that. It's true. Bill certainly, to some degree, can still control their own path here. But easier said than done. One game at a time. And uh, luckily for them, they get to kick it off in Arrowhead. Another, another great, easy place to play. I will say, you know, it's as beatable as the Chiefs have looked. If the Bills offense can figure out their defense, I like their chances in that game. It's just, uh, you know, it, it, it depends on it depends on what version of Mahomes we're going to get. But as of late, they've had a real tough time scoring. I know yesterday they figured it out, but man, I know they won 31 to uh, 7 or 30. Was it 34, 21 yesterday, 31, 21, something like that. I think it was, I forget the exact score, but they were down 14 nothing to the Raiders yesterday. And they certainly did figure it out. But something a little off about this Chiefs team, I'm very interested in that Bills game. The Bills, I mean, they've beaten the Chiefs before with iterations of that team that are far better than they are right now. So certainly a winnable game, but we all know it's not easy at all. Um, nor is it for any team going in there. Um, all right, let's talk about, and I want to preface this, before, what's the best way to put this? I want to make it perfectly clear right now, before we get into all this. The Buffalo Bills did not lose the game entirely because of the refs last night. I also want to preface, we are over two hours into this show tonight, and I have not really, I haven't brought the refs up once. Okay, we're two hours in. I haven't brought the refs up once. So if you're at this point of the show and you're thinking I'm blaming this game on the refs, get bent. Okay, you know that's not true. It wasn't the entire reason. But I'll tell you this. You can say, like I'm saying now, that game wasn't, the, the refs didn't lose that game for the Bills. You can say that. And I'm, I, I believe that. Because even with all the bullshit that happened, the Bills still should have won that game. But you can also argue that the Buffalo Bills were put at a disadvantage to win that game yesterday because of the refereeing, because of the officiating. It was 
some of the most pathetic, egregious, horrendous, pitiful. You, you, the adjective of your choice. It was downright egregious to the point where I, you know, and you're seeing it all over the internet and you're seeing it from people. And I know I love seeing this because it makes me, it, it really removes the bias because Anybody in any given time can blame the refs. You see it all the time. But what makes you feel better, especially if you're a Bills fan, is when you're I, – I can't tell you how many Dolphins fans I saw yesterday talking about the hose job being given to Buffalo. I can't tell you about just random people. I saw a couple of – this morning, I forget the exact name. I know I brought him up earlier. Like It was a CBS news reporter or anchor who quote-tweeted Tim Graham's article about the refereeing as if to say, like, you know, this is a news story. Like this is worthy of talking about. This last night was unbelievable. And Tim Graham himself, speaking of him, he had put out a column this morning via the Athletic, where he had said that he doesn't think he has ever in his career written an article about the officiating until yesterday. It was truly that bad, and. It made the game feel as though there was some sort of rigged element to it. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, Hockley, the ref, I'm, many of you, if you're my age, you, you might remember him. You should. But the older fans certainly will. Um, Sean Hockley is the son of Ed Hockley. And I, I don't know how long it's been since he's been out of the league, but Ed Hockley, of course, is the referee back in the day, the older guy who was just absolutely shredded. I loved him. He was like 60-something years old, and the guy was as cut up as a bodybuilder. It was hilarious. This is his son, okay? The, the Philadelphia Eagles under Nick Sirianni are now 5-0 and against the spread and 5-0, and obviously, in, in their win-loss column with this guy refereeing the game. And... In the age of legalized gambling, there has got to be some sort of uh, accountability here. Because whether that stat that I just gave you means anything at all or not, or it's just a coincidence, we don't know. But when you watch what's on display yesterday and then you see stuff like that and you also see that at any given time, Anybody, including me and you, can just go on our phone and bet thousands of dollars on these games, and they can be dramatically, dramatically influenced by a call here and there. The days of allowing these guys to get out of there without having to do anything other than a pool report, which is what they did, and they just give you the most bullshit half-assed answers ever, and then it's done, it, it, it's got to end. It has got to end. The league, when they when they adopted legalized gambling and became fully embedded with FanDuel and Caesars and DraftKings. They have given, they have gotten rid of their ability to turn a blind eye to absolute horseshit, unexplainable officiating. And that's what last night really seemed to be going into half. It was 10 to one in favor of Buffalo. And when I say in favor, it was not like it was there in favor of them doing them any favors, 10, Flags to Buffalo to one for Philadelphia. And there's no better example to give you other than the horse collar play. 
And it's a moment like that where all these other calls throughout these games and the officiating it's felt like this year has just been horrid in general. There's no consistency. There's absolutely no letter of the law when it comes to these rules. You never know what's what. And we'll talk about what I'm getting at in a minute when it comes to the fumbles, right? I know you know, all know what I'm talking about. But there's, there's, no, uh, there's absolutely no accountability being put on the shoulders of the guys that have this much influence on the game. And when we're talking about a 10 to one favor of, you know, penalties going towards Buffalo, and then you see the flag, like the horse collar, that's when the eyebrows start to get raised. You can see flags here and there, a holding right a pass interference. And they're so, they're so discretionary, right. That you're almost like, Oh, okay. Well, shit. Seemed a little weak to me, but whatever. But when you're watching a guy get taken down by his collar to the point where the jersey is ripped and you see the referee with as good a view as anyone on the planet could possibly have of the the play in question, when you then immediately see that play end and both Jim Nance and Tony Romer are about as irate as you'll ever see two broadcasters be about a non-call. And then you follow that up with calling an intentional grounding on Josh Allen. When Gabe Davis was three or four feet ahead of him. In that particular moment, I think it's when you're going to get the tinfoil hatters a whole lot of ammo to back up their argument that this shit has got some, this, this doesn't, this doesn't look right. Something's fishy. And it really does feel like there is a side here that's being favored. All of these other calls for the most part, they're so ticky tag bump into a guy, this and that it's really hard to narrow in on them. But when you combine the fact that the Bills had 10 to 1 in penalties yesterday with that particular flag, where you, everybody watching that, including the announcers who are telling everybody who might not have seen it themselves, what just happened. When, when that happens and it's not called, and then the flag is thrown on Allen for a flag that wasn't a flag at all, regardless. It was not intentional grounding. Gabe Davis is right in front of him. It it really, like, I, I can't tell you how frustrated I was yesterday watching it. And that that's just, the frustration primarily comes from um, being a fan of the Bills and watching them get hosed on that. But I got to tell you, man, I bet on a lot of football, a lot of football. And if you're a, if you're someone who's got money on the game there, and you have to consider this because it's not even just like people anymore are betting on the spread and the total. You can bet on everything. You can bet on whoever scores the touchdown. You can bet if a touchdown gets scored on that drive, on that play, what the point total is going to be at the half, all this stuff. It's all factored in. The days of allowing middle age to old men to dictate what they perceive that they saw on the field to be and allow that to massively influence circumstantial elements of the game. It has got to come to an end. The technology is there. We are still, we are still measuring footballs 
with balls and chains, sticks and chains. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. And they're stuck in the Stone Ages with some of the most crucial elements of the game. And it's ruining the sport. And it's not just because of what happened yesterday. This is happening weekly. It's unbelievable. Nobody knows what a pass interference is still. Nobody has and nobody ever will, I feel like. And we're at the point now where not only does nobody know what it is, but it's also being called dramatically differently from game to game. And that's just, it's not just the pass interference. It's a lot of these things, holding, pass interference, whatever a catch is. And let's talk about that, for example. So yesterday in overtime, A.J. Brown catches the ball. He tries to make his way upfield and almost instantaneously gets the ball punched out and the Bills recover it. I got to be honest, and this is just showing my bias. I didn't think it was a fumble. I didn't, it, it, something visually about it to me didn't look like he was making the football move. And that, that in itself to me is hilarious. These, these calls are being made on something like a football move. There's no way to really categorize what that means. What they're saying when they're saying a football move is they're telling you, well, it looked like he did something to make a play. There's, there's really no way you can define a football move. You could argue a football move would be catching the ball in the first place. That's a football move. It's insanity what this shit is. But anyway, I'll be honest with you. At the time, it looked like the ball was hit out almost immediately after he went to go tuck it. And as fast as it happened, I understood the call. Okay. But not even two hours later in the preceding game, Baltimore versus uh, Los Angeles. The almost identical thing happens. Identical. Austin Eckler catches the ball, or it was, it was either Eckler or Keenan Allen. I think it was Austin Eckler. It doesn't matter. Before the half, catches the ball in the middle of the field, catches it, goes to turn up field, instantly punched out. Here's the difference. And here is why this is getting absolutely insane. The inability to have any consistency in these calls. The call on the field in Buffalo was an incompletion. Therefore, not a whole lot to see to overturn it. They stick with it. Had it have been ruled a fumble on the field, game over, Bills win, just like that. And it's all up to the discretion of a guy in a striped shirt, nothing else. The same thing happens in Baltimore versus the Charger or versus the LA Chargers except the ruling on the field was a fumble and it's the same scenario. They go to the booth, not enough to overturn it, fumble, Ravens ball. It was nearly an identical play. If you were able to replicate what happened to, to AJ Brown without legitimately trying to replicate it, if you were looking to find another play to be is representative of that play um, in regard to the rule as you, as you were looking for, it would be the one that happened in the primetime game last night. And it just goes to show you in a nutshell there, and it's not just those two plays. This happens all the time. It's all based on what they just happened to say at the time, and that's what they're going to stick with. And they don't even know if, if what they're saying at the time is exactly what is real or not. 
Because even though I might have thought that was an incompletion, I also thought it was an incompletion in the, in the Chargers game. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. And this is the crazy thing. My perception might be different than your perception. But at the end of the day, our perceptions are exactly what's influencing this game. It's just happening by one or two guys on the field. All they're doing is what we're doing. We sit, we watch, and we perceive what we thought we saw. And like for me, I don't have any stake in the game, Chargers, Ravens. What the hell do I care? Right? This is what's happening on the field. They see it, and they just go with what they think they saw. There's no rhyme or reason to it. And when you call it on the field, there's never going to be enough evidence in a situation like that to overturn it. So whatever they happen to go with, they go with. And of course, it's just in that moment, the Bills happen to be on the end of one where they just went with an incompletion. And you could tell by A.J. Brown's reaction, he looked like he knew he just lost the Eagles the game. You could tell. Based on his body language and the way he reacted to the ball hitting the ground, you could just tell it looked like he just cost the the Eagles the, the ball game. So it's the inconsistencies that I don't know. I mean, it just feels like it's always going to be a major problem in this game. And it's unfortunate because it really influences the game. Like right there, that there's no better example. If, if the one ref just thinks it looks like a fumble, the bills win the game. They're in the playoffs today. But if the bill, if the referee perceives what he thought, thought he saw last night, which is what they went with, the Bills lose the game. They're out of the playoffs today with a much tougher a hill to climb to get there. And it's all based on that one thing. Now, if you're like me, and this is the way I like to look at it because it makes me feel better about it, you go back throughout a million moments throughout the game, and that's where you say, well, they didn't lose it in that moment. But at the same time, the tough thing to swallow is they also could have, they could have won it in that moment. It was all just based on what one guy thought about what he saw. And the same exact thing happens in another game. And that uh, the one guy in charge of that game just thought he saw another thing. It's all up to what they felt like in the moment. And then on top of that, we're talking about blatant missed holdings. The one on Stefan Diggs on the sideline. And then for Hockley, that smug asshole, for that guy to go on the pool report and say he didn't have the angle. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't able to see it hinder the play. Dude, you're staring right at it. Do you not understand every inch of the field is is being videotaped and photographed? The other one, too. Well, who was it on? It was on uh, Shakir, wasn't it? In the middle of the field, or was it Trent Sherfield, one of the two? Tackled the guy. Tackled him before the ball was there. No call. Said the same thing. Didn't have the angle, and the, the angle that he did have, didn't see anything that had hindered the play. Dude, then you're the only person on the planet that saw that. And it also just so happens to be you're the only person on the planet with the best view of it. And you could look past all of that if it, if it was going the other way. If you go to halftime and the Bills have two flags and the Eagles have one, okay, fine. Hey, boys, you know, they're, they're, they're not calling anything tonight. But when you watch the hold on digs, the hold on, I, I forgive me. I forget exactly who, who it was, Sherfield or, or um, Shakir. You guys can let me know. Um, but when you, when you look at that and you see that those two uh, blatant holdings and or pass interference aren't called and 
the most blatant horse collar you'll ever see. Uh, thanks, uh, the real. So it was Sherfield. So you have the mauling of Trent Sherfield. Essentially, that was what it was. It wasn't even pass interference. He, he was tackled before the ball was even catchable. Okay. You have Stefan Diggs's jersey. You can see that you've all seen the image by now. The jersey is being dragged down almost to the point where you can see his entire shoulder padding. Okay. You have those two. And then the most blatant horse collar you'll ever see not only go in the Bills' direction, but they're penalized on the same exact play. You have all that happen while the Eagles have one flag go against them. Like I said, you want to call it both ways, either way, I'm not really going to complain. If you're going to call everything on both sides, you're going to throw flags night and day, but you're doing it on both sides. Well, hey, you know, shit sucks for both of us. This is not fun to watch, but hey, you know, at least at least no one's getting particularly boned uh, more than the other. But if you're going to do what you do yesterday, how can you not start to understand the people who are starting to say that this stuff is rigged? And I think this is what happens. People think when they hear rigged, they think the NFL is sending in a game script that needs to be followed and X, Y, and Z has to happen. That's not the case. You know how easy it is to influence? A, now, granted, it doesn't always go the way that you would want it to go. But do you know how easy it is to influence a game in a particular direction based on just tossing a flag out on the field? If you haven't seen it by now, go watch the Tim Don the, the numerous Tim Donaghy uh, documentaries that are on Netflix and wherever else. The the NBA referee who was um, found guilty of shaving points or, or influencing games rather um, to influence the betting market, uh, however many years ago it was. Um, it's the same, almost the exact same thing. Now, granted, it's way easier to do it in the NBA, I think, because anytime you go up for a, a, a layup, you can call it. The difference between the NBA and the, uh, the NFL is the, uh, the NBA, uh, fouls, they directly result in points. If you're followed in the NBA, you immediately go and shoot two free throws. You can add points to the scoreboard, right? The other big difference in the NBA is that you can follow out of a game. So say you, your best player, you get him out of the game. Of course, you're going to be at a drastic disadvantage. Prime Kobe Bryant follows out of a game. The, the Lakers are not going to be the same. We get that. The NFL, though, these pass interferences, right, or lack thereof, you call a pass interference. That puts that that can be the biggest play of a game sometimes for a team, right? Um, yeah. So we're gonna. Yep. Yeah, so Phil, gone. I I I, I hate this. You, you don't want to read. You don't want to listen. Whatever. You can you can absolutely piss off. Not whining at all. It's un. And this is the problem. And the NFL knows it. The NFL knows it. That's why they got all of us in the palm of their hand. Because they know 
that one side's going to bitch about the ref and dumbasses like Phil McCracken, which I love that name. That's hilarious. I'll give him a little more credit. His dumbass. He comes in and he just calls me a crybaby and this and that when I obviously set off the bat that I didn't think that this was the reason the Bills lost. There was a million other reasons. But, you know, it's going to happen to you too, Phil McCracken. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to all of us, no matter who your team is. And that's bullshit. That's bullshit. It should not be influenced that dramatically. You understand it happening every now and then, but it just feels like it happens every single week, numerous times. And there's no way you can defend the Bills having 10 to 1 in penalties in that first half yesterday after the amount of missed calls that were not called on Philly. It's ridiculous. And I got to tell you, I've watched games like this. I, and this is the other thing. The NFL knows this. They know that time will pass. This is what happens. Time will pass and we'll forget about this. And if it's brought back up again, you'll be like, oh, I remember the refs were terrible in that game, but you won't be able to remember any specifics of it because why would you? You're not going to remember specific non-calls or whatever. So somebody's going to be like, hey, Zbot, give me an example. And I'm going to be like, oh man, I can't remember. They were just terrible. And, you, and they're, they're going to be like, See, I told you, you can't even give me an example. You can't even give me. This is what happens. So you have the, they have the benefit of time because as soon as that game's over, there's another game on after that. There's a game on tonight. There'll be a game on Thursday. And then there's a whole fresh new slate this coming weekend. And by then it's all, it's all over with. It's done. It's gone. And not only that, but they also have the benefit of people constantly being at odds about it. Like my buddy, Phil McCracken in here, right? where I'll be talking logically, you can't have a logical conversation about this because there's always going to be the opposing fan base coming in and saying that we're just a bunch of bitch and whiners, right? So they know they're, they will just argue back and forth and then it'll be over and, it's, it's, and then it's done. But you know what I said. You know what I said after the Giants game and I'll say it again. The, Gi the Bills interfered with the Giants on that pass on the goal line, the Giants should have gotten another crack at scoring. I unequivocally believe that. And that's, that's just giving you an example of somebody being unbiased for once when it comes to this shit. Darren Waller got mauled by, I believe, Taron Johnson on that goal line throw from Tyrod Taylor. He got mauled. And they didn't call it. And they called one the play before that was less egregious, in my opinion, than that one was. And it's once again a perfect example of no consistency and a blatant dic dictation of how games are played out. Like I said, there's certain games that are way more obvious than others. If both sides of the fence yesterday were not getting any calls or we're getting a ton of calls and whatever, it evens out. There should never be a scenario where there's 10 to one in penalties. Unless each and every one of those penalties are massively blatant where they're all offsides and you can clearly, because that's the one, like the only penalty in the league that you can clearly decipher whose blame it was. Right. Clearly. Um, but 
with such subjective play calling, it just feels like there should never be a 10 to one ratio in favor of one team. But when there is, and you look even deeper into it, and then you then are able to take away from that the amount of non-calls on the other side, it it just really gets you wondering. That's all. And you know what? There, there's, there, there's a human element to this. There's a human element. Maybe it's got nothing to do with gambling or whatever else, because frankly, in my opinion, I think you got to be the world's biggest dumbass to get in bed with anything to do with gambling, if you have your hand in this league, is if you get caught, you are going to federal prison. So in my opinion, is it worth a couple extra hundred grand or whatever when all these guys are already making money? Believe me, all these refs have money. There's no secret there. Is it worth putting your entire family's life on the line for a couple hundred grand from the books? My guess, probably not. And if it is, you are an absolute elite level dumbass. Elite level dumbass. No question. There's also, but there's a human element to it outside of, you know, sports betting or whatever. Maybe Ed Hockley or uh, Sean Hockley, he just likes the damn Eagles. Maybe, maybe they just want the Eagles to keep rolling. Who the hell knows? I have no idea. And it's not even just the Eagles, by the way. This is the most recent example we have to talk about. And don't get me wrong. Yesterday, Yesterday was just, it was bad. It was so bad. The officiating was terrible. But if you can recall another game, go back to when the Bills played the Jacksonville Jaguars in London. This to me is the best example because to me, it goes even beyond dictating games. It's just ruining the game. And this, to me, was the perfect example. Don't you remember the game against Jacksonville in London where it legitimately felt like every other play there was a flag? And it wasn't even just Buffalo. It was both sides. It was just unreal. It was It was almost, it was, I, I remember, I think I tweeted out, and I said, if I was not a fan of any of these teams, I would have turned this shit off an hour ago. It was that bad. Why on earth would the NFL want to continue to do this? It looks so bad. And when you have the game on display in another country trying to broaden your fan base and your viewership, why on earth would you want that on display? So it's such a hard thing to talk about because, like I said, there, there's, there's all these little nuances to it that people are going to want you to, to say, and you're, and you're always going to forget all these things. Like even yesterday, you forget half of what happened, but you remember in the time – it just felt like it, there was something up. It just felt off. It felt lopsided. And when I got all my buddies who have nothing to do with the Bills or whatever texting me like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this. And then you go online and you see it from that, this person and that person. They have nothing to do with the Bills. You know what I mean? That's when you know. But you, you, you look at it and you wonder, what's the solution? And I think I saw somebody actually in here ask this. What's the solution? The black and white answer to that is there's no foolproof solution. There isn't. This is a game where it's not like the MLB where if, and I don't know why they are, they don't do this. They're just so stuck up their own ass. You know, we got, we got to preserve the heritage of the game. So we're going to leave some 70 year old man behind the plate to let you know if it's a ball or a strike when, you literally could just put out a couple of sensors 
which they already do on the broadcast. And it would be as easy as that, but they don't want that. But that's stupid. Another reason why I think baseball is the worst. But either way, doesn't matter. It's not as easy. Baseball, to me, is the easiest game to officiate because there's no contact. It's a real clean game. Very, everything's very visible. And there's not a whole lot that happens in the interim. So you're able to, be, you're able to decipher exactly what happened. And if you wanted to go a next step, you could, you could put sensors in all of the gloves and the bases, and you could read if the ball hit the glove before the foot hit the base. You could do all this shit. Don't, I remember I brought this up whenever, however long ago. And I think I brought it up about a game that wasn't even in Buffalo. And I had people in my comments freaking out, freaking out, telling me it's not possible. Listen, my car can drive itself, okay? I do two taps on the right-hand gear, and the car drives itself, okay? I'm a video editor. All day long, I work with some of the greatest footage ever from these little drones that can fit in your pocket, and you let them go, and they can record 4K footage, shit you've never seen before, all unreal stuff. The phone in your pocket, your the phone in your pocket is more powerful than anything that existed on the planet 20 years ago, okay? And the shit you can do on it, you tell somebody 50 years ago about this, they would look at you like you were literally, literally belonged behind bars for being that insane, okay? And all of the stuff at our disposal right now, the technology, it's off the charts, including the AI and all this stuff, and it's only the beginning. I implore you to go and watch the video of the Apple virtual reality headset that's coming out next year. It's going to give you a great glimpse of what's coming of what's coming. This, what we have right now is almost unexplainable. This is nothing compared to what's down the line as far as technology. And if you don't think the shit that you and I, Mr. And Mrs. Uh, uh, Joe Schmo can go and buy at target. If you think that this stuff's elite, You can't tell me that a multi-billion dollar organization can't buy some of the highest technology you've ever seen in your life in order to more accurately preserve the integrity of the ballgame. You can't convince me of it. You think the tech we have now is insane? I don't even want to know what some of these multi-billionaires and some of these government agencies have their hands on. Because there's no way we could even probably fathom how advanced some technology that hasn't gotten to consumer markets yet is. It is off the charts. And I'm telling you, I've, and I got my, 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 one of my main buddies, my main man, Ram, lived with me for four years. He knows I'm a huge techie. I'm a huge tech guy. I love this stuff. And I love what's at my disposal. I love all this stuff. I'm also well aware of the fact that there is some stuff that's just way above my head. I can't even comprehend it. And I also know uh, you can see the writing on the wall, the way things have evolved. It's going to, I mean, by the time I'm like my dad's age, I can't even imagine the shit we're going to have our hands on. Can't even imagine. And I also know for a fact that multi-trillion dollar government agencies and corporations They aren't just limiting themselves to consumer market technology. 
There's a reason that this stuff gets existed in the first place. They're the ones creating it. The stuff they got their hands on has got to be unearthly. What I'm getting at is you can't tell me that the NFL, who still currently measures a first down with a stick and a chain, they can't implement a new technologically advanced way to officiate this game. Will it be perfect? No, I don't think anything ever will be. But there's got to be some level of improvement. There's got to be. You can't convince me of anything else. The perfect example, the, the technology is already there. The AWS technology that Amazon implemented into the game. It's extraordinary shit. You can track every single element of the ball game. The stats we have now are insane. Think about, think about the way the technology has already influenced the game. All of this stuff. Even right down to the pylon cameras, the angles we have now, all of this shit is incredible. And you mean to tell me when I can measure, I can literally run in real time the mathematical equation to tell me the, the possibility of a catch. I can do that, but I can't implement a different way to tell me whether or not it's a first down that doesn't require four guys walking out on the field with a stick and a chain. It's embarrassing at this point. You also mean to tell me that we can't have a sky judge, which they've talked about, but for some reason they won't do. There should be like an overseeing Lord in every stadium sitting over the the field, being able to officiate the game from a vertical angle with the ability to overrule anything that they talk about um, or whatever they rule on the field. There should also be the ability to overrule any flag based on what's called down from somebody in the stadium in the booth. With all of these cameras and whatever else. For example, I'm not talking, by the way, about challenging flags. We all saw what an unmitigated disaster that was. And we also saw they didn't do it. The refs were like, screw you. We're not doing this. We're not going to ch- allow these, these calls to be flagged. So guess what? They never overturn a single a single PI. The only reason they implemented that, that uh, ruling is because we had just witnessed the most unbelievable, egregious no-call in the history of the NFL. Rams, Saints. It was the worst no-call, maybe in the history of sports. It was so bad, the NFL allowed teams to challenge pass interference. And it did nothing. They never overruled one of them. And guess what? That ability, that's not even in the game anymore. I'm not calling for that. What I'm calling for is somebody, a a non-biased party up in a booth, can watch every play and its replay in real time. And I'll give you a perfect example. The Stefan Diggs play where it's just, I'm not talking about overruling anything, all these ticky tack things, every play we're talking about moments where when you go back to the booth and Tony and, and, and um, Jim Nance are having a full blown conversation about the no call, right? When you're having a conversation about it on national TV, essentially telling the, the, the world, hey, you just watched a whole sack of bullshit. You just got duped by the league. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of the game. 
You know, you dumbass. We know you're going to watch the rest of it, you idiot. We know you're going to tune in next week, you too, you freaking moron. Right? Right? In that scenario, there should be a guy who sees the digs play and calls down the big old genius, Sean Hockley, and says, hey, D-bag, you missed a blatant pass interference. So throw the flag. I'm readjusting the call on the field because you either, you know, your retinas have burned out or you're just dog shit at your job or maybe both. But either way, either way, throw a flag penalty on, on the Seahawks or the Seahawks, the Eagles. Like, you know, the perfect example, like back to the, the Rams Saints point of the, the Rams Saints example. How about NFL? Instead of coming up with the worst possible solution imaginable, which you knew it was going to be in allowing teams, allowing teams to challenge a penalty. You knew that was going to be terrible. Instead of that, you want to know what it would have been just awesome. You want to know what would have been great if there was somebody in the booth with the jurisdiction at that Ram Saints game to just say, whoa, hey, I know everyone in America and every other country uh, in existence with access to NFL Sunday ticket knows that that was a flag, but somehow the absolute, you know, I, I mean, there's no even, there's not even a proper, a proper word to call them. Oh, there's not even a proper word to call these idiots. Honest to God. Honest to God, but you know, you mean to tell me that they couldn't have just saw that called down and said, guys, what the hell are you doing? Throw the flag. Because look at, you know how I said earlier that it's tough to talk about these situations because you don't remember a lot of the little things, but in the real, in real time, you remember just how bad it was. Do you know how bad a call or a non-call has to be to where you still remember it to this day? That play was like, what, six years ago? I remember it today. I'll remember it forever. It's the same situation. I forget the pitcher's name, but do you remember the pitcher who pitched a perfect game and the referee or, or the umpire at first base said the runner was safe when he was out by at least a full foot and after the game, the ump came out, admitted he was wrong, and he literally was brought to tears how sick to his stomach he was that he made the wrong call. How about in that moment, instead of ruining that ump's – I mean, I, I, listen, I, I, not, not all of these guys are terrible people. I think the majority of them are, <laughs> but not all of them are. But, you know, some of these guys, this is, this is a human element we're talking about. These guys are going to make mistakes, okay? I get that. It's the ability to correct the mistakes that needs to be implemented. I'm not asking for these guys to be perfect. It's impossible. You can't be perfect when it comes down to making a decision in real time based on what you just saw and having no idea what the rule is in the first place. You can't be perfect. But you can correct it to make it closer to perfect than it already is. Am I nuts? Does this not sound like the most logical shit you've ever heard in your life? So back to the baseball situation. Instead of that poor ump umpire, never that, if I, that guy, and you could tell, he legitimately thought he made the right call. The guy was brought to tears over it. 
because he knew afterwards it was the wrong call and he was he, the guy was sick to his stomach. So instead of ruining that poor guy's life and the pitcher, you know, it wasn't like it was Randy out, Randy Johnson out there dealing on the mound or Kurt Schilling. It's a guy that nobody knows. You want to know who that that you want to know who that pitcher is today? And this is no slight of him. The guy made it all the way to the league. He, not easy to do. That dude's a legend, no question. But you want to know who that guy is today? He's the guy who got robbed of the no-hitter or the perfect game. He's the guy who got robbed of the perfect game. I don't know what his name is. I'd venture the majority of you don't. Ram, God bless him. He pulls this shit out of his ass. He's an encyclopedia at times. Armando Galarraga. I don't know if that's the ump or the, the pitcher. What I'm getting at is instead of making that guy synonymous with one of the worst, one of the worst outcomes in the history of the MLB, instead of ruining the umpire's life, right, and being known as the guy who costs the guy, right, the perfect game, have somebody in the booth call down and say he was out. And you want to know what? The MLB did that. And I'll give him credit. Why on earth they still don't, why on earth they still have a guy behind the plate? Baseball to me, God bless anybody who gets into it. I don't get it. I mean, my God, it is just, oh my God. It's just, I don't get it. Whatever, whatever. The fact that they still are allowing that to occur is, is insane to me, but this is where I will give them an infinite amount of credit. They have made changes as of late to try and modernize the game. One of them being you can now review a play like that and you can overturn it. So credit to them for doing things like that. You know what'll happen though? This is what happens. This is what'll happen. This will all everything I'm talking about right now. This will all happen. It'll all get implemented. Okay, it'll all get implemented. And the first year it gets implemented, the Bills will be in the playoffs, and they'll do something, and there wouldn't be a call, and then they'll call down on the field, and it'll end the Bill season. That is exactly what'll happen. So I guess careful what you wish for. But either way, they're getting boned. I mean, might as well get boned in a fair fashion. If I'm going to get boned, I want to get boned fairly. You know? And that to me, by the way, to everybody who wants to knock on Josh Allen, okay? That son of a bitch last night was battling two teams. He was battling the stripes, and he was battling the best team in football, perhaps. So once again, you're out of your skull if you're finding fault on Josh Allen last night. The guy had to do what he did against two different different bo- bodies of uh, opposing energy or whatever the hell. He had the force of that entire stadium against him, and he balled the hell out. I still can't believe that shit happened last night. You ever, you, ever, you ever sit here and wonder this too, by the way? This is the most amazing thing to me. How can, how can two things be true at once? How can last night be so unbelievable, but at the same time, so believable? That's what all these games are. Like, how many times can something happen that's just so unreal? Dude, Josh Dobbs, is he on his ninth pick tonight? Every time I've looked over, this guy's throwing a pick. Every time. 
Holy hell. How can that be true? Where it's like, last night's unbelievable, but it's so believable. It happens every time. But the only way to describe it is that was unbelievable. You can't just say, man, that was so believable. Like, that was unreal. But, man, am I not shocked about it. Um, you know what I thought was a weird aspect about yesterday? And I don't know how... I mean, I don't know how much it really impacted their performance on offense. But you know what I thought was weird? Um, Don Kincaid had six targets for five receptions and 38 yards in the first half. Not a single target the second half. I just found that to be interesting. He catches everything that seems to come his way for the most part. I, I've absolutely loved their incorporation of him in the offense. He just, they didn't do anything with him in the second half. I was shocked by that. Um, Gabe Davis. What a weird, does anybody, how do you describe Gabe Davis? Is he not one of the weirdest guys ever to describe? I mean, we're talking about, it's either, it's feast or famine with this guy. I mean, there's no in between. He's either putting up the best stat line for a receiver in the game, or he's not even being targeted. It's the weirdest thing. I I don't even think I can think of any other guy to, to, to draw a similarity to. It's crazy. Like when he's on, when they're getting him involved and he's on, I mean, damn, he's just balling. But then all of a sudden, like the last two weeks before this, he didn't even get a target. But I said last week, I said, you know what? I got to take Joe Brady's word for it because why else would he say Gabe Davis deserves a game ball if he didn't do anything? And you want to know what? That credit to Joe Brady. And that's, that's why I gave him the benefit of the doubt and believed in him because he didn't do shit last week. They didn't even target him. And then this week, it's a whole different element. So maybe there was some sort of master plan to that. I don't know. But the one thing that I think is concerning, and, and you know, Diggs, Diggs, oddly enough, I don't know, a couple, last couple of weeks with some uncharacteristic drops. You know, it's tough to bag on him, too, because he'll make catches like the one he did in the end zone for the touchdown or that one on the right of the sideline there when he went up and grabbed it. It was just an incredible catch. But, like, that one catch he had going to the ground, for the first down there and dropped. It's like, dude, how is digs of all people dropping that? Um, but you know, I'm looking at the stats here and when I see 23 targets between Gabe Davis and digs and only 12 catches, that is a little concerning. We're talking about half the, half the targets there going incomplete. Um, and a few of them are definitely chalked up to drops. That's for sure. But Loved what I saw from just James Cook. How about seven targets, six receptions? And, of course, the only target that didn't go for a reception was, of course, the biggest one. Man, that sucked, didn't it? God knows how different the game just goes from that point, too, because it was the first drive, and it was a dime. I mean, that was a dime. Before we wrap up here, I just just a little more on my soapbox about how good Josh Allen was last night. I mean, if I, if I got to be the only person to do it, then so be it. And I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure there's plenty of Bills fans, but I hope there's out there's people out there that who aren't Bills fans. I know, I know Phil Sims is one, or excuse me, Chris Sims is one. Um, I know Chris Sims gets dogged a lot. I mean, all these guys do. But if you listen to Chris Sims as much as I do, I listen to him a pretty good amount. I listen to Pro Football Talk every day, and um. Sims is very fair. I think he's very fair and honest and he loves Josh Allen. And he was one of the only guys I saw today that 
called out the, the rest of the idiots that are trying to even remotely pin this on Josh Allen. Um, and I'm glad at least somebody of his stature is willing to do it because it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of them. But Chris Sims came out today, came out today and he said, uh, uh, the laziest take going is to pile on Josh Allen for turnovers or to plaster the 0-6 OT record and attribute it to him. He was the best player on the field in the entire league yesterday. Well, I didn't even know. So that's exactly what I said earlier. I didn't even read this whole thing. So at least somebody else saw it, for Christ's sake. Also, I checked the rule book. Someone else on the Bills is allowed to make a play. I mean, I can't say that nobody on the Bills yesterday made a play, but yeah, you know, it's 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 probably 80 to 20, 80 20 in favor of Josh uh, Josh Allen, that's for sure. Um but Oh my god, you know, you know what my fiance said to me yesterday after after like watching Josh Allen and seeing them lose, she was just like it's so funny. Once again, it's one of those examples where you're like ignorance is bliss, but it's always interesting to hear the comments from someone in that position and she said uh why doesn't he just leave? Why doesn't Josh Allen just leave? And I'm like, well, it doesn't work like that. And thank Christ, it doesn't. I'm like, you know, you, you don't make the money you make with the ability to just get it, pack your shit and go. Um, but it's just, it, it'll make you think a little deeper about things. And it makes you think, it's like, how does Allen feel last night? How does he feel after the 13 second game? How does he feel? In these games where he just has to hit the pillow knowing, man, I don't think I could have done a whole lot better. I know Ram would get a kick out of that one. Yeah. Because so Ram, Caroline and I went to college together, obviously, and, and Ram lived with us. So she just knows, he knows Caroline's good for a couple of absolutely terrific one-liners every now and then. And when I say now and then, I mean all the time. Caroline is convinced that every single time someone makes a play on the Bills, it is Stephon Diggs or James Cook, just because those are the only two names she knows outside of Josh Allen, even defensively, even defensively. She also was convinced that last night the uh, Chargers were wearing purple. She was convinced the Ravens and the Chargers had the exact same color scheme going. Um, I digress. All I want to say to wrap it up is that last night was the perfect example of what these Buffalo Bills have been my whole life. And it, at this point in time with this Josh Allen led team, these, these feelings that you get afterwards are certainly different, but the overall outcome and the overall sentiment afterwards just about feels the same. Whether this was happening in the drought or whether this is happening now, it just feels like the result always is the same. Now, it feels like it's, you know, it, it cuts a little bit deeper because you, you're obviously watching it cost them the shot at the playoffs, perhaps. But it's also, you know, you're also watching it cost valuable prime Josh Allen time as well. But it's just felt like the Bills have always been that team that finds a new, prolific, exciting, excruciating way to just stick 
a samurai sword straight through your heart, right through your soul. And it's the way they do it where time and time again, it, it is the exact same. It's like the exact same way. And I can't get over how similar yesterday was to the 13 seconds. And for just once, you'd love to watch this team who is visibly and, of course, success-wise, a different team than anything I grew up with. You'd love to watch that team erase the narrative that the Buffalo Bills are the team that's cursed. But even with the most talent, bar none, that I've ever had on this team in my lifetime, even that can't help. And that's what sucks the most because you step back and you think, man, if they can't, if they can't even eradicate that narrative with this team, are they ever going to be able to do it? Because if they couldn't do it with Josh Allen and X, Y, and Z fill in the blank with the names on this team, if they can't do it now, what the hell is going to have to happen in order for them to do it? And obviously the easy answer right now is get rid of Sean McDermott. There were also 15 other coaches in my life who did the exact same thing. And I know you don't want to hear it, but Sean McDermott was the best of all of them. And it just feels like no matter who's the quarterback, who's the coach, whether Calvin Benjamin's your wide receiver, Warner Stephon Diggs is, you know, whether the most exciting aspect of your entire season was Terrell Owens coming to town or going to an AFC championship. It doesn't seem to make a difference. It's always the Buffalo Bills are going to lose games like this for no other reason other than the fact that they're the Buffalo Bills. But to lose it the way they did with Josh Allen playing the way he did, that's what hurts the most about this game and, of course, the 13-second game. It's because in this league, we all know it. you only go as far as your quarterback and you only are able to be as successful as the talent your quarterback is able to, um, you know, provide the team. We all know this. The best teams in the league have the best quarterbacks. The worst teams in the league have the worst quarterbacks. And no coincidence, the mediocre middling teams have mediocre quarterbacks. I mean, it is a direct result. I understand, the, you know, wins aren't a QB stat. You're going to lose a lot more games. With a crap quarterback, you're going to win a lot more games with a good quarterback. Not every win or loss is a QB uh, directly related to the QB. But the overall general success of your team sure as hell is going to go directly through that guy. Unless you just have an unearthly um, roster. Like, I think that the, almost anybody could probably succeed in San Francisco. I think, and this is no slight, by the way, to Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts would be successful in a lot of places. I also think that any decent quarterback would be successful in Philly. I, I don't know how you would be. Wouldn't be. With that offensive line, two bona fide wide receiver ones, Dallas Goddard when he's healthy, DeAndre Swift, plus a pretty damn good defense. I don't know any decent quarterback who's not going to have success there. Um, so to have a performance like Josh Allen has in the game yesterday to have a performance like he did in the 13 second game. And, you know, of course, in both those games, a lot being on the line in the 13 seconds game, you know, more than anything, of course, it's do or die. But we're getting to the point now where it's just about as 
close to do as or do or die as a non do or die game can be, including yesterday. So a lot on the line in both games. And when you're getting two games where your quarterback almost unarguably had the best performance of his career, and that in turn, it visually felt and looked like maybe the best performance any quarterback has had all year, or at least certainly one of them, and you lose, that's the toughest pill to swallow. You know, it never felt like back in the day you had the talent for one guy to do that and then blow it all away. It just felt like collectively the team would have a, a good day and they would still somehow piss it away. Now to have a guy like Allen do what, you, you know, other teams would literally kill to acquire and you still lose. That's the toughest pill to swallow because you just get to the point where you're like, what more can you do? Um, so. We'll wear this one, that's for sure. We've worn a lot of them. I mean, my God, this has been the most crazy year of losses I think we've ever had. And damn it all, we've shared every one of them together here on the smoke break, and I love you a lot for it. You guys may, like I say every time, every time a loss like that happens, my first thought after I, you know, consider not doing terrible things. Um, the first thought that... The first thought I have that comes to my mind that brings a smile back to my face. All right, well, hey, at least we got the smoke break tomorrow. I'll be able to yell and scream, and I'll be able to hang out with my Bills Mafia folks, and we'll be able to talk about it for a little bit, and I will feel better. And what do you know? I feel a little bit better now. Bye week this coming week. What we'll do next Monday is, you know, we'll run it again, of course. Same place, same time, smoke break. But without Bills to talk about, what we'll do, I guess, is we will take a look at what happened over the weekend because – as you know, when you have the luxury of being in the hunt, you got a lot of rooting interests on one end or the other. You got you got teams that need to help you out. We'll talk about what unfolds this coming weekend and then what that means for the Bills moving forward. We'll also preview Bills versus Chiefs. So how about yesterday happens and we got to sit on it for two weeks? Classic. Ain't that something? Well, with that said, folks, enjoy the bye week. Maybe get out and do something that doesn't revolve the bill around the bills uh, ruining your life like mine. Maybe I'll go uh, get a Christmas tree. Maybe that's what I'll do. Enjoy your week, folks. I will see you this same time, same place next week. And like I said, we'll talk about the bye week and what happened during it. We'll also talk about Bills Chiefs. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Try and put it in the rearview mirror. We'll talk soon. Much love, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Bills. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.